Hello. Hee-haw. I'm, Yeehaw. I'm Sam Wainwright this entire show. So. Oh, no, I got it. I understood who you were. I'm going to recommend you plastics all the time. Okay, so for the last third, you're dead? Plastics. Okay, you're dead. You're, you're dead for the, for the last third, and you come back for the final bit. Is he dead? I think so. In the alternate reality, I believe he is. Why would Sam be dead? Isn't he? He never rescued him or anything. Oh, so why didn't he try to contact Sam? Well, now you got me curious about this. Why did he try to contact? Because he's, he's a prideful American who's a do-it-yourselfer. Do it you don't get other people to help you. Don't you understand the American spirit? Okay. Why well, I'd rather fail on my own than have help from someone. Okay, fair enough. But remember, Sam uh, Sam sends him the, the, the telegram and says, I've instructed my bankers because I have an incredible amount of money because you, 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 you dum-dum, didn't go in with me on turning beetle nuts into plexiglass or whatever the thing was they were doing. Right. So in the other reality, mm -hmm. does he still succeed? Like, it feels like they covered all the bases with everybody and everyone was much worse off. So well, I guess like, no, no. Sam. Maybe, maybe you're right because maybe Sam's idea of the what he's doing is based on something that he learned from from the from the Jimmy Stewart character, right? Right. Didn't George tell him something, and then and so of course Sam wants George to come in with him on, on the deal, but George is uh, George is too busy being frustrated because he he loves Mary, but he doesn't want to be tied down and have to stay in in the town. So then they have their their kind of fight that ends with them kissing and then they get married and then he he's he's stuck stuck yeah, in got, town you got me really curious now about sam wainwright like uh, i don't think he's dead but i think you're right that he wouldn't be the success that he is that he is yeah. in the jor in the in the george filled universe yeah i feel somehow potter would have like scooped up whatever his ideas were or something <laughs> well, I, don't know if, I don't know if it, well maybe maybe well there would be no george but because i think the idea of the like there's a sequence where he just kind of throws away that this idea to 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 Sam, right? And then Sam gets it going, and then he he, of course. Ah, so yeah, that's right. Sam wouldn't have his idea. Though. That's right. That's right. Because Sam offers to cut him in on the deal, but but George, George doesn't take him up on it because he's he, you know, he's saving his money to go on his big trip, and then and then it turns out, you know, he's kissing he's kissing um who will become his wife. I can't remember her name. Mary. Mary. Right. He's kissing Mary and. And then someone runs up and says, "George, your dad just had a heart attack or, or or a stroke or something." And then he he has to run off, and then his dad dies. So then he has to take. Then you know, then there's a scene where like the the characters are all like, you know, we'll keep the savings and loans running, George, but only if you look after it. And he's like, "Well, I'm not looking after it because, you know, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be his little brother's turn, but no one trusts that guy. He's 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 a good pilot, but he's no person who can run a savings and loan, obviously." Right. Huh. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that, but yeah, even Sam would suffer. With the loss of, of George. Well, there we go. Neat. Well, this was a great Christmas episode. Just, uh, <laughs> Let's put that put that in the in the bank. We'll just pull that out at Christmas yeah. time. Then we'll, we can take Christmas off. We'll just run this. this Merry Christmas, Christmas Sneaky Dragon Falls. I want to be a dentist. <laughs> Do you? Voice of also Spider-Man. Do you? <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll do a deep dive on Rudolph. Yes. The most neurotic Christmas special. Oh, oh mm, no, I would say... Charlie Brown, okay. still more neurotic? Charlie Brown, yeah. Those are the two best and the two most like depressed and uh, anxious. And <laughs> but I mean, it feels like that... The 
I don't know. I guess I mean, I mean George Bailey is going to commit suicide. I know that's, that's the best of them all. It's not really that wasn't intended as a Christmas movie, but I, I can see it's become a holiday classic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it came out in the summer. This is uh, this is the thing. If you're going to do a Christmas movie, uh, pick some sort of you know <laughs> uh, mental problem and uh, lean into it hard. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's something we'll have to like figure out some sort of some sort of measurement for which is more neurotic. Well, it's I mean, I know now, that Charlie Brown's neurotic, but I feel like none of the other characters are suffering through Christmas the way that he is. Well, listen to the music off the top. Like the Christmas music off the top is, is not happy Christmas, having a good time, having a good time Christmas. It's I know, but it's still the lyrics are happy though. They're not they're not sad. Well, Christmas like, time is here, happiness and cheer. Yeah, but they're saying it like this. Do, 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 Christmas the time is here, happiness <laughs> and cheer. <laughs> it's not quite that sad. <laughs> You're making it all flat. <laughs> it's not that flat. All right, you give me the upbeat version. Uh, Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Something through the fireside. The something of the year. Right. The first thing Music you see Music everywhere. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a pretty, uh, it's a, you know, I, it's, it's, a, it's, upbeat, it's jazzy. It's a jazzy thing, though. It's a depressed kid and a greedy <laughs> little girl. Well, the first thing you see is a dog grabbing a kid's blanket yeah, yeah. and then smacking him into a pole. And then, uh, and then snow falls on him. And then Coca-Cola presents, but we can't have that. We can't have that anymore, no. Because it used to be he crashed into a coca-cola truck yeah thanks thanks cancel culture um <laughs> can't have our coca-cola smashings um yeah and everyone's bummed out everyone's like so, so bummed out that one of the girls uh has to become a psychologist a psychiatrist, <laughs> psychiatrist yeah she she's not a psychologist prescribe. she can actually prescribe she can actually prescribe medicine oh she can prescribe medicine yeah she's a psychiatrist well, then she shouldn't mess with these nickels. What she should do is just make her money on the prescriptions. I think that's where she. I think that she gets it on the back end. The nickels. Yeah, the nickels fine because she's. She's. Yeah. She's getting subsidized scratch. by big pharma. Big pharma's all over that. I mean, I think this is the problem with the peanuts world. It's like there's no you problem. Realize that they all go to her for therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's why they're a mess because she's just a fuss budget <laughs> who's really in it for the money. This and the, is the problem. Yeah. And the bossy boots. Oh, she's oh she is bossy. Don't don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah, and a real crab apple. Mm-hmm. I had a cousin that was a lot like Lucy when I was growing up, and that she was a bossy boots and a fuss budget. And uh, I know that Lucy will never be happy. Like she's not going to have a happy. Oh, by life. the way, or at thing. least a life that involves other people. Anyway, let me throw some backstory onto this. Uh, the episode's begun. Um, <laughs> do you want to run the credits? Sure, I'll run the credits. Run the Here song. we go. Run the song. Let's start it. All right, we're back. Okay, good. You, it's your show, so you uh, you can intro or do the thing that you want to do. Okay, I'm David. Yeah. I'm Ian. Okay, great. Enough of that shit. Here's the thing. <laughs> Um, something that's obvious to me now that I have never thought of. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Like she's a psych, you say she's a psychiatrist. She's not a psychologist. It's a psychiatrist. Um, yes, yeah, she's, it's psychiatrist is in. So you're a, so you're a young girl. 
and you're playing psychiatrist. <laughs> yep. You've been to a psychiatrist. Yeah. That's the thing. L- Lucy is clearly in therapy. Her parents have sent her to, to a psychiatrist. Do you think so? Or do you think that because, yes. you know, the, the 1950s, psychiatrists were cool. Understood. I mean, there was, there was a comic book about psychiatry. Do you think she picked up that comic book and that's where she I just think I just think she picked up the zeitgeist. I don't think she reads comic books. I, lose, I mean, other people definitely read comic sure, books sure. in that world, but I don't think Lucy does. No, I'm just I, saying, but she picked up on the zeitgeist. Like, there was other things. There's like that, you know, there's like the Hitchcock movie. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Now. It's one I've never seen, but it has like the Dolly sequence in it. Is, okay, is it with Gregory yeah. Peck or someone? I've never yeah, seen it. It's one I've always wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Andalusian dog thing, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have the it does not have Lashana and Lucy, but it does have like it does have like a uh, like a surreal dream sequence yeah. in it. And I can't remember the name of that movie, but anyway, it's about it's about psychiatry, right? Like, cause it was like it was like that was the next cure was psychiatry, right? You know, like uh, so like uh, homosexuality was no longer illegal, and you went to prison. It was illegal, and you went to an asylum for to be to be looked at by a doctor because it was clearly a mental disorder right oh by the way it was called spellbound spellbound thank you thank you so um yeah now okay yes it's in the zeitgeist i get i get you i'm I'm hep to that (laughs) and i get that's the reason that uh, schultz is doing it as a thing sure sure it's all it's all well and good yeah yeah. uh my feel my feeling is though yeah that like this is a girl who likes to torture uh people like she likes to torture Charlie Brown. She likes to <laughs> well, that is true. away, yeah, yeah. and she is uh, has some signs of being, you know, some problems. She beats up her brother, but that's common back then. I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, she's very, very grouchy. <laughs> um, and I'd say the parents would, you know, if they were fairly well off, and I believe they are. Yeah. Um, from from what I've seen of the mother with her bike and uh, rerun later on, she's a, she's she's sure. well to do. Um, I think they sent her to a psychiatrist. And then she, then she went like, I got it, and then comes back, <laughs> opens her own little stand, and passes on secondhand the knowledge that she's got yeah. to her, her little friends. Yeah, it could so, be. I mean, Lucy, as a kid, uh, but didn't you like? Therapy. Didn't you like pretend you were something that was like fantastical when you were a kid that was just part yeah. of the culture? But here's the thing: Lucy does a deep dive and does know uh, <laughs> many, many psychological terms—the kind <laughs> of terms that you would pick up yeah. if say. Mm, you were going to a psychiatrist yeah. and maybe in the waiting room and checking out the magazines and maybe, you know, you go in and, and the psychiatrist is going, something's with this kid. <laughs> and, you know, we're running through different things and it's like, they're worried. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's picking it up. Uh, yeah, I would say I would say she's gone through a lot right. of therapy and they don't know what's wrong with her. They do not know. They keep throwing things at her and they don't know. <laughs> and they're worried. And finally, I think the parents just went, ah, screw it, let's just have another kid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then they discovered yeah. that her her problem was she was crabby. Yeah, that's well, her, that's a major problem. Avoid, I mean, this is the thing. It's like uh, the, Lucy is from the 1950s, right? Yeah. Um, and you can't be a crabby woman like a young woman in the 50s. They won't let, allow that. They're going to medicate you and send you <laughs> off to a farm. Why wouldn't they let people be crabby? Oh, it was not a good time. I though. think that was a. I think that was the height of crabbiness. Really, like if you think that it was okay. So you're a young woman and you're a really strong will. Yeah. Like I'd say, of all the peanuts, Lucy is the strongest will sure. of, of, of them all. Sure. Like I'm telling you, we're going to France. And like, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. But like that kind of 
bossiness. I don't know. I think I think they would go. We got to fix her. This is wor- this is worrisome. Say the 1950s parents who hmm. are not that. You know. Oh, yeah. I think I think this girl has some strong opinions, and we should encourage that in the 1950s in America, possibly Middle America. Huh. I don't think they live on the coasts. Uh, I think they live in Middle America. I, I believe. I think you're right. I think it's. Yeah. I always picture it like being like Minnesota or someplace like that. Mm-hmm. In fact, I sort think of north this, northern Midwest. Area. I think this is the town that has the lottery from Shirley Jackson. I, think. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's quite that grim, but okay. I and just I, I just read some Charlie, Shirley Jackson, but that's yeah. And let, me, and let me say this though as well, and I want to hear about your Shirley Jackson. I think Charlie Brown's mom was the woman from the lottery, and one that's why he's <laughs> depressed because mom's gone. You never hear. Um, and uh, mom's gone and now it's all about dad and dad tries to overcompensate by doting on his son but he's kind of messed up his son with too much doting and uh, there you go but yeah it's the same town as Shirley Jackson's lottery you hear hear about you hear about his mom what does his mom do she's I mean well what does a mom what does everyone's mom do in that time well she's a house mom but what does she do does she ever like uh, uh, bake bake cookies or hey mom made a pie or mom uh, mom did something or mom's depressed yeah uh Oh, is there something about mom being depressed? No, no. I just mean that she's mentioned though as being a being in that. But think of any like I can I can picture Charlie Brown's dad like he goes to the barber shop. Yeah, yeah. His dad's yeah. waiting for him. Sure. I can I know the barber shop. It's got magazines. Like I can tell people in the community like Charlie Brown's dad. Yeah. I got it. I yeah. got a good image of Charlie Brown's dad. His mom is just a blank to me. I've got no <laughs> clue. But that would be like everyone else's. I mean, but, really, and Sally doesn't mention her mom ever. Are you talking about the comic strip or are you talking about the, the cartoons? I will take either, Dave. Except, well, let's blank out the later cartoons. Let's not, after after Snoopy gets married, let's, let's, cut, <laughs> let's cut it off, Dave. I don't even let's remember that. Let's cut it off. I, this is Arbor yeah. Day, Charlie Brown. I didn't read let's the later strips. There. I didn't really read the later strips because st- I, I stopped, being, the stopped getting oh, okay. the sun. Okay, that's fine. But can you think of anything that Charlie Brown's mom ever did? Although I'm just thinking now, did, did Charlie Brown also run in the province? Did it run in both papers? No. No, it would only run in one paper. So okay. It would be very strange to have yeah, something yeah. in both papers. Well, it is strange, but there's one now that runs in two papers, which I think is weird. Like one in the Sun, one in the province. Which, this weird little thing called Agnes. Yes. It's an, an, yeah. It's a very well, strange way, strip. but uh, uh, I'm going to say, by the way, Mrs. Brown, I'm looking up Charlie Brown's mom. Uh... She is uh, the only character that calls Charlie Brown Charlie, mm. and we uh, hear her voice once in a while in the early strips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, and then she's gone. And then she's gone. As <laughs> you see, you think she's then been she's, she's been yeah, lotteried. She vanishes basically in 1950 and is never seen again. Huh. Huh. Yeah. But I think that was a conscious choice by by Schultz to cut out all reference to adults, and but we still we still have Charlie Brown going to visit his dad. And then, but he doesn't course, talk you know, to him though. He just he just goes there. Well, he waits to he waits to see him. Yeah. And then um, yeah. and then uh, later on, rerun of course is is riding on the bike with his mom. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, we have that going on. I don't know who else would have a mom in this world. <laughs> you don't care about Schroeder's parents who gives a yeah a shit. Uh, Pan's parents should be ashamed. But he's only riding with with uh, rerun's only with his mom because Schultz is commenting on the weird thing of having like baby seats on bicycles which at the time was considered kind of an odd thing so yeah he's, he's trying to be topical it's like yeah. hey what's popular yeah. nowadays sure uh, bis- bicycles and aerobics and aerobics and moms that go out and run errands <laughs> yeah 
But no, there's really nothing here about Mrs. Brown. I hear she has a lovely daughter. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> and that would be Sally. No, I'm about. <laughs> then she's wrong. Yeah, yeah. She is lovely. Nothing wrong with Sally. I, she's, I find her a little disagreeable, but okay. She's a little disagreeable. She's got a little bit of a homely mush. That's true. I, 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 I'm, I'm being nice to Sally. <laughs> I'm, wishing, I'm wishing her the best with her life. I do like her. I do like her infatuation with uh, Linus, though. Yeah, that's really great. His sweet, sweet her sweet baboo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of uh, unrequited love in the uh, Peanuts universe. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they didn't, and they actually like one of them liked the other one in that way, yeah. then it would just turn creepy immediately. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't want. They don't need that. Yeah, the second that Schroeder turns to Lucy and goes, "All right, let's make out," it'd be like, "Yeah." <laughs> That's right. Like, what do you want to do? Where do you want this to go? You know, we're both like eight. What do you What do you want this to be? Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in fact, I was a baby when you were still this age, and I've done that weird aging thing where I age and you don't. <laughs> yeah. Alice Sally. Yeah, babies are only so interesting for so long. We need some. We need more of a character here for Charlie Brown. Yes. Right. Opening a can of food right There we go. Nice. Uh, by the way, Dave, we should be very careful uh, mm-hmm. because yep. because mm-hmm. uh, on our show, we tend to do uh, trivia. Yes. This kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, we talk in sometimes trivial terms until we get real, man. <laughs> um, there was yeah. just uh, recently at a... At a pub, there was a, a, a pub quiz, yeah. and a twenty it, it led to twenty three uh, COVID uh, cases. So, um, oh, hey, yeah. some people are saying it's because the way the pub is set up yeah. that was the that was the thing. Yeah. I think it could be passed by trivia. Okay, by worry. <laughs> yeah. So we got to be real careful. So All right. No weird tr- little trivial thing that we bring up. Yeah. Wash your hands. I will. I'll do that. Okay, and I'm okay. spreading. I'm putting on the microphone. I'm putting on some Purell. Oh, good. Good. That's good. That's good. Huh? Yeah, I was just going to say um, you were talking about the lottery, and I was going to say I just I just read The Haunting of Hill House, um, which is Shirley Jackson's, uh, I guess, psych- psychological ghost story that she did. And that was made to the same uh, two movies, right? One good, one terrible. Okay, fair good. How about how about the book? How does the book stand out? Stand up. The book's really good. It's sort of, it's kind of interesting in that there there's this character. I don't I don't think she's in the movie. I don't remember her being in in the in the Robert Wise ver- version, the 1960s one. And I definitely don't remember her, the character in the 1999 remake. Blah. Although that was the first time I saw Owen Wilson was in that movie. Oh really? Okay. I was like, who is this weird actor? <laughs> You hadn't seen um, the Bottle Rocket. I hadn't seen Bottle Rocket then. That, that's right. Yeah, somehow I missed Bottle Rocket, but saw The Haunting. Ugh. Anyway, so um, there's this. Oh, it was also a TV series too. Let's go ahead. Well, yeah, but the TV series is a fan fanfic. It's okay. not. It's not a retelling of of The Haunting of Hill House. It's a. It's using Hill House as sort of a jumping off point to create create. It's kind of like the new All Creatures Great and Small, where it's has nothing to do with the books itself. It's just. Someone likes the characters that they just want to like tell new stories about them. That's fine, mm-hmm. but it's not quite what I wanted. I wanted to, you know, watch again the stories that I love of the James Harriet instead of like someone else's like idea of what these characters are are or whatever. It's okay, but it's not really what I wanted. But anyway, um, and actually, but actually, the Haunting of Hill House was directed by a guy. He did the horror film Oculus. Have you seen Oculus? 
I don't think I have. It's with um, uh, Karen Gillan is in it. Okay. And it's like a a brother and sister, and and she 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 firmly believes that the family owned this haunted mirror that ended up with her father being accused of of killing of killing their mother. Mm-hmm. And so she buys this mirror at auction and returns it to their family home, and they're going to do like some sort of experiment to prove this mirror is haunted. And it's it's a very good film though. It's got lots of like time dilation and and weird weird like um like uh, um these great kind of um you know mental derangements you know up to, you know not illusions but uh, whatever where you fall into like you can't tell what's real and what's not real you know. Right. Did you see it in the theater or in the, at home? I saw it at home and it was still very okay. effective. Yeah. All still right. Very effective. Anyway, he, this guy directed, he wrote and directed the Hill House one. And I thought it was pretty good. Like, I had, like, had some good scary stuff in it. The problem with all those kind of shows, of course, is that once you establish what's scary, then you get used to the scariness, and then you just kind of like, you know, if the story doesn't carry you through it, then this, this thrills aren't going to get to you anymore, because you've already, you kind of know what's going on. Like, you're like, okay, I get, this ghost is this, this ghost is that. Right. Got, got it, you know. Got it. You can put all the music you want on it. I know what they're going to do, so... Where the book is more of a study of of the sort of main character who's Eleanor, Eleanor Vance, and her being invited to take part in this, in because she's had some sort of like poltergeist experience in her childhood, she's been invited to take part in this study where this this guy who's like a you know a, a person investigating you know a psychic phenomenon and stuff like that, he wants to you know investigate this haunted house but have people there who are sensitive sensitive to to hauntings have experienced had ex- those kind of experiences in the past to be part of the test you know and and so um eleanor is slowly taken over by the house until she she basically you know becomes part of the the house itself you know and there's a part in the i don't know I'm, spo- I'm spoiling the book i don't want to spoil it but yeah it's a very it's a very good uh it's very good i mean it's, it's shirley jackson she's just like like such a great writer you know she has such great I think that was it was her second to last book after this after this book she wrote a book I just think is a masterpiece called We've Always Lived at the Castle which is just a fantastic but it's pretty much like the the you know the proto not proto gothic novel that like everyone kind of follows after that of that's a, that's on our stack to read it's oh yeah you gotta you gotta read it yeah it's so good okay. so good yeah it's just a great just a great mind fuck and just a it's a really good book yeah no nice but what's, called it mind, yeah that's what she called it that's what she called it yeah she called it a real mind fuck but what's interesting about Shirley Jackson <laughs> like you know she hasn't you know she's not my, you know, well, they just did that movie about her, which is interesting because she's, you know, like in this in the introduction to this book, the, the author points out that she's not really well read anymore. Like we know the lottery, you know, we all read that in school, but no one's reading, you know, um, her. I can't remember the book is called "Hangs a Man" um, or "The Bird's Nest." Or what's really curious to me about her is the fact that she wrote these kind of Irma Bombeck like my crazy family stories. Oh. Um, that was what she was best known for when she was a writer, like when she was alive, she was best known for writing Life Among the Savages and another, another book, like the, something about demons, uh, there's the children, like, you know, being like little devils or whatever. And it is a book about, you know, like the hurly burly of family life and, you know, and there's sort of like humorous stories of, 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 you know, upheaval and, and, you know, whatever, whatever can go wrong can go wrong about going shopping or having, you know, having guests over or having Christmas or whatever. And she'd write these kind of, they're, you know, they're more the thinking woman's version of Irma Bombeck, but they're still, that's what they, they're based in, you know. And so and that's, that's kind of why her reputation has always kind of suffered because she, you know, she had, 
she wrote these books where it would be considered kind of junk in its day, you know, and she wasn't like a, a serious, in quotation marks, author. But uh, the the atmosphere she creates in her stories is really wonderful. So I, I highly, I would highly recommend, I highly, 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 highly recommend We've Always Lived at the Castle. I think that's just okay, a, uh, well, a remarkable it's, book. It's ready to be read. It's well, that's there. great because this is when I stumbled. I just bought it at Valley Village or at a thrift shop one time, and they were selling it. Uh, it was one of those, "Hey, why not read some classic novels?" And it was mm. like a chapters, and it was like, "Get three uh, of these for ten bucks." All right. <laughs> cool. So I was like, I, I always wanted to read the Great Gats- Gatsby, so I read Gatsby. It was oh, okay. short. Yeah, and, yeah. And I got that one as well, and I got, uh, I think, I got Pride and Prejudice as well. I was like, oh, you always have a spare copy of this. <laughs> we'll talk to Dave about this one day. Yeah, uh, yeah. One one thing that uh, I just find interesting is like, so she wrote uh, the haunting of Hill House. Yeah, like, to, and she's no, and you know, it's a very disturbing ending to the lottery spoilers. You know, so <laughs> you know, if you're if you're looking for someone who's like, oh, she's a scary author, I love her. Yeah, yeah. Oh wait, she's got a, a book that's out. What's it called? Raising demons. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> oh boy, I can't wait for this. All right, that's the name. That's the title. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the lottery was like, was like a, a one-off. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like people didn't go, people didn't turn to Shirley Jackson for the lottery. They turned to her for Raising Demons, you know? So that's what she was best known for. That, those, that was her, those were her big seller books. Right. You know, all her other books weren't really that, weren't really that successful uh, compared, you know, in comparison. This is kind of what I, I find, like I know a bunch of professional authors and uh, and to a degree, I am one. I was just going to say, like yourself, because oh, you are yeah, you are a professional. Um, but like almost all of, I'll say, ugh, us. I'll say us. I'll put my, me into this. Is uh, yeah, you do do a bunch of stuff, like a bunch of different stuff. That like you go like, well, no, you're an author who does this. Like yes, yeah. and also this and this and this and this and in very different styles. And sometimes it's because you've got ideas in different styles. And so you want to do them. And other times one thing, don't pay the bills enough. And so you do the, all the other stuff and, you know, uh, do a wide variety of things. And that just makes sense to me. I would think like most authors would be like, you know, that writing in different, uh, different styles instead of like the one thing we love for you to do is this, just do that. Like now. <laughs> uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff. I'm looking at the cover for Raising Demons. It's a very like I know it's a it's a later cover, but it's uh the cover of it is it's a cat, a cartoon cat yep. who's looking uh, nervous over its shoulder <laughs> as all these little hands are coming towards it. <laughs> that's good. And again, if you were looking at this like this is a horror book, yeah. Oh, that's terrifying because it looks like ghost children yeah. are reaching for the cat, and now something horrible is going to happen to this cat. But then I guess things, uh, you know, it is a horror story to a cat <laughs> when there's a child in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And none of her books are, are alike. So except for those two, two books, uh, the two collections of her things that ran in, you know, uh, better housekeeping or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, interesting, interesting lady. Her husband was a professor at, at a small, small college in like Vermont, not Vermont, Connecticut or one of those kind of places, you know? Okay. Very um, a very uh, hoity-toity town that they never quite fit into, and uh, she had a terrible relationship with her mother. So she kind of overcompensated, both in her personal habits, but also in her attempt to be like, you know, kind of the 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 er mother, the kind of best mother on earth. Right. And uh, you know, so she she was a uh, amphetamine addict, but also like mm. trying to be trying to be like the super mother and be an author and be you know a wife and. And her husband was a serial 
philanderer. So, yeah. you know, she had to deal with that. And yeah, it wasn't not a, but you know, the kids said that she was a great mom. So yeah, that's a drag. That's a drag for everybody. The, the husband, Vienna, a cad. Yeah. 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 I guess it gives her more time to write. Huh? That's good. <laughs> so. Not bothering you. Not around. But uh, that makes me, that makes me sad. The, um, the movie they did about her with that features that actress who's in everything right now. She's going through that phase in an actress's career where every movie features her. Oh, okay. Well, who, who, all right. Give me more information than that. She's in The what? Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Her, okay. sm- her smell. I am writing about her right now for a different project. Okay. Okay. Right now I'm writing about her. Okay. And uh, now I'm completely blanking. <laughs> I, I do. I do. Elizabeth. She, Elizabeth. Yeah. You're, you got that right. Moss, you. Elizabeth Moss. There you go. Um, but that's very strange because it, it's kind of like, once again, it's like a fan fiction version of someone's life. You know, it's like, I'm really interested in Shirley Jackson. I'm going to write a movie about her. Okay. What are you going to have in the movie? I don't know. I'm, what, what are you going to say about her kids? Oh, I'm not going to have her kids in the movie. She's not going to have kids in the movie. So she's not going to be a mom? Wasn't that a big part of her life? Yeah, I'm not really interested in that part of it. Okay. <laughs> so is this before she had children? No, no. It's they like just it's killed off her children. No, no. This, yeah, they just like didn't didn't include them in the story, so that like, so they don't exist. They're not they're not part of her life. So this is weird. Very yeah, I think that's kind of an odd thing. Okay. Uh, Has this movie come out yet? Yeah, I watched it. It's on Prime. Okay. So I, was, I was looking. For, I was looking forward to something that would like tell tell her story, but it's not really her story. It's just someone making up a story. Uh, kind of, it's kind of a Shirley Jackson Jackson ish story called Shirley. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's called Shirley. Um, yeah, kind of playing on like in um in in the Haunting of Hill House, there is a unspoken uh kind of lesbian element to it with one of the characters whose whose name is Theodora, but goes by the name Theo. It's described as having a partner, but the partner is never named nor ever you know. It's, so there's elements. And then there's elements to her and and Eleanor's relationship where it it could go that way, although but Eleanor has like a crush on the guy character who's also in the, and so it's just kind of like it's just sort of a, a kind of there but not really there, like like something that because Shirley Jackson wasn't really interested in sex, that wasn't like a thing that she wrote about or or really seemed to care about that much as a person. Mm-hmm. Whereas this movie is very much about sex and. You know, and she she has an affair on her husband with another woman. You know, oh. so so you know, so rather than being like the long suffering mother, she's like the tit for tat now, and it's just kind of like, well, I don't know, that's not really her life, though. You just you just have a make 'em up. So I not really I'm not really learning about Shirley. I'm learning about what you're interested in as a mm-hmm. as a writer, but not necessarily. You could just call it any person's name and just done a movie. It doesn't have to be about Shirley Jackson. I mean, it does include elements of her of her life to it, but it's not, it's not entirely accurate, but it, you know, it also has some accuracies as well. Like, like her drinking and her overeating and things like that, which were, uh, re- reactions against her very proper mother who's super controlling and, and, you know, very prop, you know, wanted things to be just so. And, and Shirley Jackson, uh, you know, physically re- rebelled and socially rebelled, married a Jew, you know, like everything that everything she shouldn't do, she did. So, yeah, it's just wondering if, like, you know, because uh, you were saying it's, like, so different than her life, that it just started off as a story of another Shirley. It was, like, Shirley Jones. <laughs> yeah. And then they, we have the name. <laughs> what can we do? Is there another Shirley? Yeah. yeah that'll be my, 
Uh, we couldn't get the rights to the Partridge Family songs. That's right. Or anything from Oklahoma, so <laughs> or the Music Man, which is too 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 pricey. But we can afford to have her talk about the lottery. Okay, fair enough. Now it's about her. Yeah, that's yeah. another thing too. Like in the movie, the 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 characters are these two characters. One is coming to be a uh, kind of a TA, like a you know a, a whatever teacher's assistant at at this college, working underneath Shirley Jackson's husband. Who was not Jackson? He was like his last name was Hyman, and but in the in this movie, they she reads the lottery on the train and immediately is overcome with lust, and they have sex in a in a, in like a remote part of the train, her and her husband, and it's just a weird, it's just it's just strange to me. Like I just feel, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's not really what Shirley Jackson was was about you know she she was interested in like the psych, psycholo- psychology of the characters you know she she wanted to examine the like the idea of eleanor as this woman who kind of like herself grew grew up underneath a super controlling mother you know and had to spend like 11 years looking after this ungrateful woman you know that when she died she just couldn't wasn't even free then she just started having to like sleep in a cot in the baby's room of her sister's house this is not Shirley jackson i'm talking about i'm talking about eleanor in the book yeah. the haunting of hill house so you know her, she gets this invitation to this thing, and then her her brother in law and sister in law don't or sister don't want her to go, you know, because she wants to borrow the car because it's they they half own it, you know, eat, you know, they use the mother's money from the mother's death to buy this car, and so she steals it and goes to the house, and she you know, as soon as she gets there, she starts creating this fantasy life. Well, when she's driving there, she creates this fantasy life as she's driving. She, She'll see things and she'll kind of create these these little worlds for her to live in, you know, whether it's like a little cottage and she's living this cottage with, you know, white oleander in front of it or, you know, or, or this ho- different kind of house that has like stone lions in front of it and I'll live this kind of life and I'll have a little old lady to look after me, you know, so reversing the mother-daughter relationship. So it's it's really interesting, you know, like when she gets to the house, she starts, you know, like lying about herself to everyone, you know, telling them that she has an apartment that she lives in and, you know, so she's... She just lives this fantasy life, and and so she has no grip on reality, or no self knowledge, or no maturity. So she becomes the prey to this house, you know. And uh, it's you know it's an interesting book, but yeah, I just found the movie, the sh- movie Shirley, just very frustrating. It didn't seem to want to didn't seem to want to deal with with uh, what she was actually interested in as a writer, you know. Yeah, it's a, when you're talking about like her and her husband having sex on the train, that was her in real life, uh, not lo- her in real life, but her in the in the movie. Uh, of her life, her character, the character of Shirley had sex on the train. <laughs> oh no, sorry, it wasn't Shirley that did it. It was the the couple coming to to work um, underneath um, her husband, like as a TA. Ah, uh, very good. They okay, end up they good. end up staying in their house. Because I was thinking, like, mm. the, the where I'd go with that would be, yeah, it'd be like, you know, oh, why'd you do that? And it's just like, well, as a writer, <laughs> the symbolism. <laughs> That's right. I knew a tunnel was coming up, and we yeah, just had to have like, sex. What are you gonna do? And then he lit a cigar, and I'm like, look, I'm not made of stone. What can I do as a writer? I have to. You know, I get it. I That's get right. the foreshadowing. That's right. I see, I see Chekhov's penis. Listen, we've got to got to use it in the third act. That's right. But only, yeah, that's the thing too. It's like, the final third she, of the train trip. Yeah, she she doesn't go bases. Yeah. Like you would. It's just like, yeah, we're just going to cut right to the third act. Like, oh, okay. Then you, you better go to the caboose. <laughs> more symbolism. Oh, more symbolism. Oh, my gosh. It's um, That just was making me think that, uh, you know, they had that thing recently where 
uh, all those game stoppers uh, or people, yeah. you know, uh, buy game stock stock. And, and, and yeah. so people uh, were showing trading places. Okay. They were like, oh, that's a good example of uh, kind of how this works. I'm like, oh, that's nice. So, you know, it was a movie that was being seen. And then I, and, and then I was thinking like, yeah, and it's, it is interesting until you get to like, you know, the, the gorilla, you know, uh, rape <laughs> scene at the end. And it's just like, wow, that's from another era. It's guy who dresses as a gorilla for some reason <laughs> and then gets locked in a cage with another gorilla. Yeah. And then is, uh, you know, penetrated <laughs> by the gorilla. And that's that's his story arc. Yeah. Well, he yeah. shouldn't have, he shouldn't have worn a, a female gorilla costume. Yeah. Well, yeah was for, you know, it's, it's a gorilla. Uh, people say to him, it's why were you dressed like that? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm not throwing stones because, like, don't throw stones, correctly, please. Yeah. Uh, Homer Simpson also had a similar situation with a panda. Okay. Um, and I worked for that, you know, uh-huh. those folks for a while. Yeah. So you know, I can't, I can't, again, I can't judge, nor shall I. That to me feels like a movie that is best left when I saw it as a kid, as a teenager. I do not, I do not need to see it again, and uh, and it will, you know. As much as I would like, once again, to see uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis's brand new breasts in that movie, I just, I don't need to. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, good, good honor. Good on everybody involved. It was, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, what was, the, what was the breakthrough role for Eddie Murphy? It was 48 Hours, I think. I would say 48 Hours, yeah. 48 Hours. Which he wasn't, wasn't, supposed, which he wasn't supposed to do, but okay, someone, someone else I'll turned want, it down. I want to hear that story. I don't know who it was, though. I'm sorry. So. And then he turned down Ghostbusters. Whoops. Um, that's fine. Would, um, but would he, would he have been? I mean, would he have just been playing fourth fiddle to to uh, the other three anyway? I don't think you can. I don't think he would sit back and take it. No, I guess you're right. He would have. He would have pushed him. Yeah. Uh, but so in 48 hours now, where did Beverly Hills Cop slip into this? Was that after Trading Places? I think that he did Beverly Hills Cop instead of doing Ghostbusters, right? That's you know okay call. You know it's fine. What year did book, book, what, what year did Ghostbusters come out? Sorry. I believe eighty either eighty four or eighty five. If it's eighty five, then he did then he did Beverly Hills Cop instead of instead of Ghostbusters. Which I don't uh, think he's wrong. No, because uh, yeah, no, uh, eighty four. Eighty four was Ghostbusters. Okay. Oh. Okay, right. then I, then I'm wrong then because uh Beverly Hills Cop came out in probably eighty eighty five, eighty six. Eighty four. It also came out in eighty four. Yeah, eighty four. That's weird because I saw that at West Edmonton Mall when I went well, I guess I graduated '84, so I probably that same year I went selling encyclopedias in 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 Alberta, and I saw I saw Beverly Hills Cop in West Edmonton Mall while I was on on my on my long long arduous journey through all of Alberta. So, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I think he was right. I mean, I mean, it's better to it's better to play lead in a movie than to be in an ensemble cast. I mean, if you know, in terms of like you know, making yourself. Uh, increasing your value as an actor, you know. And who knew that Ghostbusters was going to work? That seems like well, a bad well, idea. Well, yeah, and maybe he read Dan Aykroyd's script and he went, what the fuck? Also, you know, look, you're an African-American gentleman. You probably don't necessarily want to be in a movie where you're looking scared at <laughs> Well, that's the other thing he's thinking about, probably. He's like, well, how much of my whites of my eyes do I have to show? Yeah, it's that's a, that's a rough go on that. And also, you know, it was originally supposed to be uh, Belushi that was also going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like a lot of changes. And yeah. I mean, if he read the original idea where it was, uh, took place, you know, with, uh, outer space is involved. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could see how there's a, there's an issue. Mm-hmm. I could see that, you know, no, it's fine. 
Uh, Beverly Hills Cop did well for him. It's all it's all good. Yeah, fine. it's good. I think his career went pretty well until he kind of bailed on it in a way. Well, who can keep it up for that long? Like aside from a Bill Murray. And if you do, and if you do, call a doctor. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but even if Bill Murray, you know, had to go like, okay, I'm going to go the artsy route, and then failed, <laughs> failed at the artsy route, went back to the mainstream route, yeah, and then kind of you know slowly kind of was fading again, and then. You know, uh, then the second wave hit, and, and Eddie Murphy kind of became the uh, kids' entertainer. You know, the all ages fella. did the Norberts and the Doctor yeah. Doolittles and all that stuff. Well, it was the meet, yeah, meet was the Dr. meet the whatevers. Yeah, well, I mean that's the thing. He did the Nutty Professor, and that was a big hit. Yeah, that was a really big hit. And then, uh, and then, yeah, it was like the Clumps or whatever. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's and, and look, some people like it. And they like, you know, you put on a dress and you put on a fat suit and uh, <laughs> you make a couple of million bucks. Sure. And I say million and it's more than that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's um, a couple of, a couple of, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, it's, how much money is it? It's so much money that somehow Martin Lawrence is in one of these suits now for some reason. Why is that happening? <laughs> Big Mama's Place. Yeah, and then you have, and two sequels. There's oh, sequels in there. Sure, sure. And then you're like, well, what are the Wayans brothers going to do? They can't. They can't, you know, put on the, the big suit as well. Well, what do, they, what do they put on the slim suit? What? What if they're white girls? Huh? Okay. <laughs> we know white chicks. There, done. There you go. Got but it. at some point, you're going to put on a damn wig. And you're going to make <laughs> a lot of money. And you're like, well, this is done now, right? Medea. What's Medea? <laughs> well, what if uh, it was like the fat suit and she was really Christian and beat people up? Is that what? What, is that what that is? I've never watched one of those movies. Yeah. Well, originally, it was, uh, uh, it was plays. Okay. It was like a play. I see. And uh, and it was it was an inno- like you know fuck Hamilton. This is a hit. <laughs> it was like a play that would be it would travel mm-hmm. and it would and you know audiences would come and it'd be crazy. And then they made movies and then the movies made infinity money. Like they make infinity money. You know every one of them, every one of them, crazy crazy money. Like you wouldn't fucking believe. And of course you know uh, you know us being you know not the target audience for that. We just ignore it like, like, well, it can't be that big a deal. And that's, of course, the <laughs> dumb guy going, well, I ain't never heard of it, yeah. so it can't be important. Well, you're, you're a damn idiot. Uh, that's not how the world works. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, that's uh, made, of all of the things, yeah, that's made. I mean, obviously, Ghostbusters, me along my, it's got me along my, but these consistently just keep turning over the dough. So much. Yeah, money. it's crazy. I mean, I mean, I guess, and I guess that just shows like the nature of the, the divide that you know I, you know I've never, I never heard of like the barbershop movies. I never heard of Medea until I until that actor was in, um, that Gone Girl. Is that what it's called? Gone Girl. Yeah. Okay. Also in Star Star Trek. Also in many, many other things, but yeah. He's in Star Trek. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's in the reboot of Star Trek. He's like. One of the um, Federation guys. He's like a big, big shot in the Federation. Okay. I think he might also be in the Matrix. Am I? Is that right? I just thought he did Maybe. a really good job as the lawyer in um, Gone Girl. Okay. As, as Ben Affleck's lawyer, I think he's Ben Affleck's lawyer in the movie. And I thought he did a good job in, in that role, and I just remember reading about him and, and going, "Oh, okay, it's in this series of movies I've never heard of. How odd!" But I've still I've never seen one. I, it's they, you know, they're available to watch sometimes on Crave or whatever, but. Right, and Tyler yeah. Perry, who is there? You go. That's his name, Tyler Perry. Yes. Uh, he uh, uh, in 2011, he was the highest paid man in entertainment in the world. Wow, good for him. Yeah, 
Uh, he earned between 100, uh, he earned 130 million dollars between May 2010 and 2011. Yeah, and uh, yeah, these these movies. Yeah, he's in he's Admiral Barnett in Star Trek. Okay, uh, uh, titular character in Alex Ross. Um, Gone Girl. Yep, uh, and he's also in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That doesn't matter. Who cares about that? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I've not seen any of those other films ex- except for this. I guess I watched the Star Trek one, and I've seen the I've seen Gone Girl. Yeah. Huh. No, it's. I mean, good for him. Yeah, it's great. When there's when there's a group that is not being catered to, and you cater to that group, yeah, you will make a lot of money. Sure, but here's the thing, though. Doesn't he have like the whitest name in the world? Okay. Tyler Perry. I think Perry. you know what he's claimed it then. If I, I yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. But I just said if you if I was talking about a guy to you and I said Tyler Perry. Like, in your mind, I think you'd picture a white guy. You wouldn't be thinking of a black guy. Okay. I don't know. But, yeah, good for him. It's, yeah. It's great. What would you think, like, uh, the name would be, like, uh, Ice-T? Ice-Q? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just feel... I just... I don't know. Just something about it just makes this... It just, I just... Because I, I, if I read the name, I wouldn't associate it with uh, a guy who made Medea or whatever, you know? Yeah, let's see now. There's... Uh, of the plays, there's been 11 plays... Huh. He started. That's what he's. That, but did he yeah. do the plays concurrently to the movies, or did he just like stop doing the plays once he started doing the you know, movies? You are, you are uh, asking excellent questions. Oh, okay, but uh, it's fine. You don't need yes, to answer them. He did do the plays. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh my God. Okay, because I was looking at well, 2012 when he was like the richest man. In the yeah, world. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he wouldn't have been in Medea Gets a Job, the play. Uh, but in fact, he was in the American musical play. It was uh, written, produced, directed. By Tyler Perry, starred him. Wow! Holy shit! What a talent! Yeah, that's indeed. amazing. And I guess, well, I guess you know, if you enjoy acting, you know, acting on stage is is a real thrill. So, yeah, you know, you don't want to give that up, even though you like doing yeah. the movies too. Yeah, 2019, he uh, he did uh, Medea's Farewell. That's right. He retired okay. the character, right? Well, that's the play. Uh, in mm. the film version, it was also 2019. Okay, uh, a Medea family funeral, and that was the death of Medea. Wow. Which was after Boo and Boo 2, both on the day of Halloween. <laughs> yes, that was the one that was available uh, uh, for me to watch on Crave was one of those Boo ones. Yeah. And it had kind of like a, a, a underlit shot of her, like as if someone was holding a flashlight under, you know, under her face to tell a scary story. So. Yeah, and there, then there was an animated film as well. Gee. Holy macaroni. Yeah. Well, good, good, good job. Good. good job, Tyler Perry. Yeah, well done. This is our well done Tyler Perry moment. <laughs> Good job. Good job on you. Well, this is one of those things where you like, you know, it just sort of exists outside of, uh, you know, just outside of your world, you know, like outside of your culture or whatever. It's just. This seems like a weird thing to bring up, but it's like uh, when I was working on a, a, a pilot. Yeah. It was a sci fi pilot, Space Army, we were doing. Mm-hmm. And there was a joke that we put at the end, and it was a, it was kind of a topical reference a little bit. Like it was just a saying that was like, oh, yeah, that's the thing that's said. And it was like the last line in the thing. And uh, do you care to and, say what that phrase was? Well, it's like it, it feels stupid now, but it was like my bad. Yeah. Right. Okay. okay. But it, but it wasn't overdone by that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, it it ended with like you know someone doing something wrong and saying my bad. Yeah. Um, which again does not seem like the freshest thing in the world. Now I acknowledge that. <laughs> this was, but if you saw it at the time, you, it was you know, as fresh as a daisy. Yeah. It's clearly yeah. a joke. Well, that's the end of this. Yeah. You ended on a joke. Tip of the hat, sir. Yeah. We're done. We, I mean, I'm not giving you an award, but there you go. You, you did end it. <laughs> it makes sense. Okay. So, yeah. 
um, there was a cast member, and I will not name this cast member. Sure, that's fine. I don't really talk about this cast member anymore. Um, but uh, they they were saying like, well, what's that about? It's like, oh, it's a saying, and it's like, I've never heard of it. I'm like, okay, and I, I thought that was the end of that. I thought that was the end of that conversation. He just acknowledged that he did not hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And then as as the day went on, you know, we did again and we recorded the line, and he went, "Are you still doing that line?" It's like, yeah. It's like, why? Honestly, I've never heard of it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I, I get where he's going with this, but yeah. I don't know how to get out of it. It's like, I'm not writing a new line that's, you know, uh, ask some out of you, or, you know, something like that. Ask a spicy meatball or something that you would get. But like, I, I was like, oh, that's interesting that he was like so adamant. Yeah, and then yeah. later on, like about two years later, he went like, yeah, I was wrong about that. That was a, you know, that was a saying. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> You know how everyone else is like on board and gets, but like it was something that he just couldn't wrap his head around. Yeah, yeah. That like he would not know this thing that was important, mm-hmm. if not important, but like was relevant. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I must know about it if it's relevant. I yeah. can't accept that that's not the case. And I, it was just a big lesson for me. It was just like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I don't know some stuff. So if someone tells me that something is big, yeah. I will then go, hmm, oh, yeah. I believe you. I've I think de- definitely le- learned that as a father. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I accept and acknowledge that there are things I don't know mm-hmm. that are important, and I don't know this band, and if you tell me something's hilarious on TikTok, this is a big TikTok <laughs> performer that, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, I, I bet they're great. Yeah, I bet they're amazing. They're a big star, and I don't know these YouTube unboxing hosts that my niece loves. That's that are still famous. They can't walk through an airport because they, they unbox things. I don't get how that works, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, my shit's stupid too. I just wasted so much time talking about Charlie Brown's mom on a podcast. What's a podcast? I don't want to explain it to you. <laughs> oh, I wonder if my mom and dad know what a podcast is now. Oh, well, who cares? Doesn't matter. I mean, I don't. Right? I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not sweating it, but I just wonder because, like, they've actually like kind of gone above ground. Like when we started, when we started Sneaky Dragon, I actually thought that we were like. I kind of felt like we had missed the boat. Like we were sort of tail end of of the podcast thing, and I, but I still wanted to do it just because I thought it would be fun. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't like thinking, oh, this will be like a road to success, which of course I was right. But I thought, you know, it'll be fun, which well, I was also right. Little did I know that we were actually like, we somehow started this in a lull <laughs> and things sort of ramped up after we, uh, you know, I went, went to, but so I went, now I wonder, like, so when I started it, my parents had no idea what it was, like absolutely no idea. I couldn't even explain it to them in a way that they understood. Okay, it was you know, it was there, my bad, you know. No, no, yeah. And here's why you couldn't explain it to them because mm. they didn't want to fucking hear it because they didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. Right? There's yeah. no acceptable point. Yeah. There's, there's there's a fella now who's explaining right now on uh, Facebook. Who's a guy I know? Okay. And he's explaining right now how you can make money selling your art, and it involves it doesn't it's not exactly Bitcoin. Okay. But it's connected, and there's blockchains, and there's all this kind of stuff. And honestly, it's like. You know how that's, there's that noise that like uh, young people can hear. Yeah. There's a certain frequency, and it's like yeah. that mosquito yeah. noise. And it goes, yeah. and then like you turn like 18, and like you can't hear it no more. Mm-hmm. It's it's like that. Yeah. It's just like he's explaining it, and it's clearly explaining it. But like you just like watch it, and you go, 
I'm sure it is, and I'm sure you're making money, and I'm sure some yeah. of it is real money, and some of it is it is it you're making Bitcoin. Okay, so you have Bitcoin. So can you spend that Bitcoin? Is Bitcoin existing because we all believe it does? And you're right. That is how real money works as well. Yeah. I accept what you're saying with that. You're correct. But yeah. Just, okay. Fine. Yeah. I'm sure he's right, though, too. And there's like money on the table that I'm not picking up. But that's okay. I'll focus on the shit that I kind of uh, get right now. Maybe I'll wander over there. <laughs> but yeah, I know that my there's no way that my... My, my mother would have understood what uh, a podcast is. And my mother-in-law doesn't listen to them, even though she loves the Beatles. And I tried to convince her with, like, um, completely Beatles to listen to it. Because I thought, like, oh, she would get this. Yeah. But, uh, no. It's, forget it. Nope. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... Do you, know, do, you, do you know what seems... <sighs> this is, uh, again, I, I'm not going to get into any... Here's the thing. I can do this with X-Men instead of uh, WandaVision, so I'll do that. Um, uh, you know how X-Men, the movies... Uh, jump ahead 10 years at a time. Like the first one is set in the 60s. The second one's set in the 70s. Set in the next one's in the 80s. Oh, you're talking about the new the f- new first class ones. Okay, yep, yep. Yeah, from first class on, they, they mm-hmm. jump ahead like yeah. that. When I think about you and me, it seems like our shit is made up because <laughs> okay. we are currently now, you know, it was like in the, in the you know, in the teens, the, you know, the new teens, you know, we, we know, what do we, you guys do? We do a podcast. Hmm, that seems like a topic. If you were to say, this is set in this time period. Yeah. What are these two fellows doing? Yeah. Well, they're doing a podcast together. Yeah. Hmm, okay. Yeah, that sounds like, that, that sounds right. That tracks. Oh, well, let's have a flashback now. Where are we going? We're going to the 90s. Okay. Well, they can't have a podcast then. What are they doing? Oh, they're both putting out mini comics. <laughs> what? They're, you know, the alternative mini comics. Yeah. It's the mini comics scene, man. You know, hanging around. It's like, oh, okay. Are they in Seattle? Well, kind of close. In, in Vancouver, <laughs> sometimes they'll do a cameo appearance yeah. in Seattle. They'll they'll drive down and meet everybody in the Seattle scene. <laughs> they'll do that once in a while. Well, that doesn't seem realistic at all. Oh, you're, you're probably right about that. Okay, well, now we're going to flash back to the 80s. Okay, well, what's going on? Well, you know, they're in Vancouver, so I guess... The World's Fair? Yeah, all right. So what are we going to cast this guy as? I don't know. He's the mascot? He's the mascot? He's he's the mascot of the World's Fair, this guy. Yeah, yeah. so he'll be the mascot of the World's Fair. Okay, a bit of a stretch, but I guess it all seems really too on the nose. Okay, there you go. Yeah, it just it seems like bullshit. Our story just seems really uh, hacked. <laughs> like, little, what's going on? A little too on the nose, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just way too on the nose. Yeah. And then, like, I don't know, what are they going to do in the, you know, as, as well, like, in the early 90s? I don't know. Maybe they're trying to put, like, a TV show together or something at the CBC. I don't know. They're in, like, some weird kind of sketch thing. It's a little too edgy. Maybe one guy is, like, a severed finger, and he has, like, a sexual relationship with a lady. And uh, someone's, I don't know, something like that, really edgy, too edgy. Yeah. And then, of course, the show doesn't get made because it's too edgy. And 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 uh, and why don't we uh, get one of those uh, someone from the X Files to be in it as well? Because it's that time <laughs> and they're popular. Who can we get? Dean Haglin, great. Him, he's in it, and they, you know, they're all hanging out together. I don't know, that doesn't seem realistic at all. Okay, there you go. And every step of the way, there it goes. And like, oh, who can we get for uh, their when they're doing their podcast? <sighs> and where are they shooting? Canada. 
Colin Mockery? Yeah, we'll get Colin Mockery. <laughs> yes. He'll do it. There you go. Yeah. So whatever the next thing is, we're gonna do it as well. I'm just gonna let you know. Whatever the next popular thing is, we're gonna be we're gonna be in it. All right. It's gonna seem really really hack as a story when we're when we're talking about this in the future. <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we jump on it while the while the getting's good rather than in a lull. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also, I'm in Happy Gilmore for no reason. <laughs> you remember that that movie? Yeah, he's in it. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. Look back and see. Oh, I guess he is. Yeah. Was sure. that was that twenty five years ago now? Well, well, yeah, actually, as of uh, two days ago, yes, because <laughs> it was the big it was the big anniversary. Oh my gosh! And uh, and uh, and so I got all these uh, phone calls from people uh, and and texts uh, saying, "Oh, they're talking about this on the radio, and they're asking for people who were in it to call in." And the weird thing the weird thing was the day before that. Um, uh-huh. We decided to just go for a walk somewhere. I'm like, I don't know, do you want to go for a walk? And we decided to go for a walk in Stanley Park, in, not Stanley Park, uh, Central Park in Burnaby. And as we're going for a walk, uh, I realized, oh, this is where we shot that scene. Mm. We're on the pitching pot. I'm like, oh, this is it. And I was like, just, it was the first time I thought about it in like, you know, years. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the next day, it's the 25th anniversary and everyone's talking about it. And then online, there's like gifts of me. And I'm looking at gifts of me. And then uh, I look it up. And there's like uh, some parodies of of, of it huh. scene that I did. Yeah, so it's just like, oh, that's weird. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of nice. So yeah, it was just a weird little thing. Yeah, anyway, that seems unrealistic as well. <laughs> so yeah, our, we live unrealistic uh, lives, you and me, Dave. Do you think do you think you'll see a little a little bit of a bump in your uh, in your payment this year? I I, I may have already seen that. Okay. <laughs> I got I got a phone call about that that day too. That was like, hey, and it's not anything that'd be like, hey, yeah, this is uh, this is FU money. It was more, <laughs> this is you know, pay the pay the rent, not not the rent, not the rent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pay uh, yeah. the heating bill, sure, the phone bill, and get a snack mm-hmm. money. Yeah, nice. But after twenty five years, it's nice. no, that's great. That's great. Yeah. What more do you expect? What more do you expect from life? Yeah, it was it was interesting though seeing the reaction on Facebook from people who I know who didn't know I did it, and they were all like, "What?" <laughs> it, made, it made no sense to them. They were they all but called me a fucking liar, mm-hmm. a dirty fucking liar. Like I took one of those face apps and put my face onto an old <laughs> clip. It's like you know I was Pluto in uh, Animal House, right? No, take a look. Deep fake. Yeah, don't no, check out my deep fake life. Please look at me. I'm in. I'm in Street Sense. Check out an old episode of Street Sense. There's me. <laughs> no, you're, you're you're right though. Even people who love that movie, uh, if I mention that you were in it, they just, they don't really react to that because like it's they can't comprehend it. I guess as a thing. No sense. Where, but people people of a certain age are super impressed that we had uh, Colin Mockery on the show. Yeah. From whose line is from whose line is it anyway? Like this. Uh, people who you know, kids who grew up with that show or whatever, you know, like teenage, you know, teenagers that that time oh, period you, where that show was on. You, you, if you, if you saw it at the right time, mm-hmm. you have not laughed harder at anything on TV. <laughs> yeah, him, yeah. And, him and Ryan Stiles, they would occasionally come and jam with us uh, at uh, Urban Well and Shivana. Yeah, uh, their improv shows. And if you get the two of those guys together, the audience just loses their goddamn mind. <laughs> like I've seen, I've seen like Robin Williams stop by. Yeah. 
and he's very and he was very sweet and people would people would have a hard time accepting they were seeing Robin Williams it was almost unrealistic yeah. but like if uh, if if Colin and Ryan were together people would just be <laughs> they, they just they just couldn't understand it yeah yeah and it's so nice because i know like you know uh Colin you know went through a period that was that was pretty rough you know and uh, dad did not have a lot of money and uh, him and his wife had to sell all their stuff and you know they're following their dream and they had a tv show called my talk show that was you know that uh, got canceled it was it was all right and they tried a whole bunch of other stuff and yeah and he went and auditioned for who's line and they didn't want him and ryan really pushed for him and all this stuff and yeah it's just nice that it all worked out and worked out so 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 well mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's really 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 nice by the way let me just side sidebar for a second and say the person who did not uh, believe in my bad, um, with the Happy Gilmore thing, when I when I did watch the movie for the first time in the theater, yeah, he was sitting right next to me. Yeah, he had a bigger part than me. Every scene was cut out. Really? Every scene that he, oh, I saw. Okay, I saw it with two guys. Yeah. One guy uh, went on to do like. Uh, it wasn't Gary Jones. It was another fellow who was in like a later version of Stargate okay. and then did a bunch of stuff. And sure. I can say his name, Peter Kalamis. He's It's fine. Uh, yeah. The other guy, I'm not going to say it. So uh, I'm sitting next to these two guys. So the guy who was the... Both of them, the are, calling, both of them are calling you Boothby. Yeah, that's... Uh, actually, no. Uh, because I knew Peter from before those days. I knew him from the 80s. Oh, okay. So okay. we were still first name guys. Oh, that's good. Um, he started doing stand-up a week after I did. Wow. So so we were watching it, and uh, and all of this guy uh, who I'm talking about uh, scenes were cut completely, <laughs> gone. Wow! Like he had a he had a nice big part, gone, and they didn't tell him because you don't. Why would you? Yeah. And so like every time he was about to, yeah, his, oh, this is my scene. Nope. This is my scene. Nope. And so I'm sitting next to him, getting angrier and angrier, and it's more awkward and it's uglier and yeah, uglier. Yeah, yeah. And so as much as like, and my scene does really well, and then it's like, uh, and then it's back to ugly, ugly, ugly to the end where he's just so mad, so mad that he's not in this movie. Um, and wow. there's no deleted scenes at this point in the world. Yeah, so, yeah. Again, the other guy, Peter, he's in it a lot, <laughs> but he has no lines. All of his lines have been cut. Oh. To the point where every time they turn to him and he's about to say something, you can even see scenes where he's about just opening his mouth and cut. They just cut every one of his lines. Wow. So he as well is like, what? And, uh, and he's frustrated through the whole thing. So at the end of it, yeah, it was it was uh, it was an awkward uh, after show. Uh, <laughs> hey, how about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, guys, uh, I'll be getting my residuals. So long. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, is that Will Sasso? Neither of you guys know who that is yet. Okay, gotta go. <laughs> I know, because we auditioned for the same role, and he got that role. Yay, okay, gotta go. Bye. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, oof, oof. Uh, awkward, awkward, though, but uh, funny in retrospect. <laughs> exactly. That's the best kind of funny. Yeah. The retrospective <laughs> funny. Yeah, I, I, I turned to them and said, listen, there's going to be a thing in the future called podcasts. And uh, it'll seem kind of hack if you see that, you know, oh, they're doing podcasts. Of course they are. It's time to go home. Anyway, we'll be talking about this then. Bye. <laughs> People will be watching it or listening to it on the internet. What's that? <laughs> it doesn't. Don't even bother.
it's don't worry about it. Do you do you it's think do you think they were mad at you though that you that you got to it got to be in the movie and they didn't? Yeah. Hmm. Well, at least one of them was. Okay. Yeah. Huh. In the way of just like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that happens a fair amount in movies. Oh sure. You know, your part just doesn't work, and yeah, and you get cut you out. Yeah, hundred percent. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I've been cut out of things before. They, yeah, at, at every stage of everything. Yeah, for sure. And in commercials as well. There's commercials that I went and did a whole bunch of stuff in, and yeah, gone. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's okay. You still get paid off. The, that's the thing. Like you want to turn to them and just go, "You guys both got paid, right? <laughs> you literally did money for nothing." <laughs> you got nothing out of it. There you go. Except for you, you just standing around. Good for you. Yeah, it's fine. And then I turned to Peter and went, "You'll be in Stargate one day. You'll be in Stargate one day. It'll be fine. You get that Stargate money. You'll be okay." Yeah, I guess that's. I guess if you get residuals for that, that's pretty good. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, I was wondering with something like uh, if you're. If you're on something like a, like a Simpsons, yeah. it goes for infinity years. You're getting residuals on all those back episodes as well. Yeah, like they always talk about how you know they only make this much an episode, and fair enough, they should have, should have made more, and now they do, and that's great. But you still get residuals on all the back stuff. So you know that must be holy cow on thirty years worth of work. <laughs> yeah. That you were a lead? Man! You know? <laughs> Do you think that they get as much residuals now that it's been pulled into the Disney Plus universe and it's not, like, syndicated on a, on a bunch of channels around the world? It's still, it's still syndicated on a bunch of channels. Oh, is it still syndicated? Okay. Oh, for okay. sure, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I guess. I mean, it's not, not going in my pocket, so what do I care? But Yeah. Good for them. I mean, I assume... Like, that's the thing, too, I guess, like, when I look at... Uh, I mean, and I don't know, and I'd never ask. But like uh, Ryan Stiles, I just assumed like after he was done with the Drew Carey show, yeah, I guess you're you're okay now, right? That's that's it. Unless you have you know, unless you're like Norm Macdonald and you have a gambling problem, you know what? And you just uh, bet it all on black. Uh, you're all right. Is that true? Is that does that? He's is... got a big bet. Yeah, he's gambled all of his money away more than once. Yeah, he's open. He's openly talked about that. He's got a very big gambling problem. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's terrible. Yeah. He was talking about um, it on uh, Larry King. Uh, okay. Rest in uh, power, Larry King. Rest in power. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, he was talking about how uh, he had a friend yeah. who uh, knew he was lucky because he had never won big. And that's why he considered himself lucky. Because once you've won really, really big, yeah. it's gotcha. Okay. You're always chasing that for the rest of time, and you, it's very, very difficult to break out of that. But if you've never had that big, 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 big win, yeah. well, you don't know. You don't know the feeling that you're. Uh, you don't know what that's like. Yeah, and so you never want it again. Yeah. Huh. But uh, but uh, he wants it again, and so yeah, it's uh, yeah. I hope I hope he's I hope he's okay with that stuff. But that's that's scary. Gambling's scary. Oof. Big big time gambling. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the desperation can make people do terrible things. There's that that father who killed his daughters in um, Victoria, was it? Oh, I don't know this. Then, tr- then tried to kill himself, but but failed. Mm. Then he then he claimed that there was claimed that his apartment had been a, 
he had, you know, people had you know broke you know had like a home invasion or whatever and they killed his daughters and attempted to kill, to kill him but of course you know people can tell when you try and cut your own throat and there's the hesitation marks and all that kind of stuff you know they they know what you're doing uh, but yeah i guess he had huge gambling debts and and had lost his job because of his gambling addiction and you know he's almost been kicked out of his apartment he had no power in it but and he was estranged from his wife, but he still had visitation rights, so he had the he had his two daughters and I guess he I, I, I mean I assume that and again it's just an assumption. Yeah. But you would think like, oh well you've won big, now you're fine. Yeah. But I my assumption on this is it's not the money that is the thing that you like yeah. having the money mm-hmm. isn't the thing that brings you the comfort and the joy yeah. and scratches that itch. It's the winning so even if you've got, even if you just won, yeah. you won, you get that rocket high, yeah, and then uh, and then you got the money. Will you want to bet it again? Like because you sure. want that high again. You don't necessarily want to have a bunch of cash that you're sitting on. That's what you want. So you can't ever, ever, ever actually win because you will always bet the money away. You will never uh, and, until it's gone, and then you'll lose everything. So, you know, you'll, you'll never be able to have that. Uh, only the most briefest uh, little moments of satisfaction. Yeah. And that just seems like that's literal hell to me. You never, <laughs> you're always chasing, yeah. chasing that. Well, I think, I think in addiction, there's a certain amount, a certain amount of, of um, like people who like have like control issues, you know, mm-hmm. like I was actually talking about this at work with some, cause I was thinking about it one day and there's a guy who I work with who uh, spent a number of years as a heroin addict in, in in Vancouver. Luckily, his sister sponsored him into getting into treatment, and he was able to turn his life around. But he's spent about three years living on the streets as a heroin addict in Vancouver here. And, uh, and I was just asking, I was saying, I said, you know, I've often wondered if, like, like there's a certain amount of, like, control issues in, in addiction. And he said, oh, yeah, for sure, because you're, like, master of your own destruction, you know? Yeah. Like, you are in control of everything that you're doing wrong. But you're in control yeah, of that. You know what's going. You know what's going to hurt you. Yeah, yeah. You're, you've got it. Yeah. yeah, you get it. Yeah. And you know, so I think someone like this guy who's an addict, a gambling addict, but he also, you know, he can't relinquish control of his daughters. You know what I mean? Because because he's going to lose them no matter what. Like he's not going to have a place for them to come visit him. He's not. He's not going to be a dad anymore to them. And so his attitude is: if I can't be a dad to these daughters, I don't. They cannot. They cannot, you know, live live without me. So, so you know, which seems like, and, and to you as a dad, yeah, holy shit, yeah, that's like, just, that's just awful. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the exact wrong idea of what what being a parent is. But yeah, yeah, I can see the idea that when the re- it's it's like it's like people that are being caught cheating or something, and they can't even if they're even if they're caught. Yeah, and I mean this in a you know cheating on your spouse or cheating on someone or something like that, not mm-hmm. necessarily cheating mm-hmm. in it. Well, it's also fuck, shoplifting. It's it's like anything like this, but like it's like when you've been caught uh, and you still are denying it, even though the evidence is is right there. Yeah, yeah. Clear that you've done. There's no two ways about it. This is the one thing that's never the case on a Columbo or some or one of those shows. It's yeah. Like once they've solved the mystery, and like, and this proves you've done it. Yeah. And they're like, ah, damn Columbo, you, <laughs> you and this, you and your dumb dog. Yeah, if it was real life, it would be like, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just proved you can't. No, I yeah, didn't. yeah, didn't do it. And it's like that's the Trump thing. It's just like we mm-hmm. have proof. No, you didn't. Didn't do it. 
That's bullshit. No, the proof's wrong. It's <laughs> all a lie. You're a liar. You just made this up. You got something against me. Yeah. It's your problem. Yeah. Uh, you're not. Uh, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, they can't accept. You can't have a reality yeah. where they're not the thing that they've been projecting. Mm-hmm. They are that thing, and yeah. they must be that thing. To do, to and if reality steps in the way, then reality has to. Uh, you know, has to bend to their will. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and again, Mm. there's, yeah, there's people I know that are like that too, who I know that they've like, you know, uh, you know, done, done things, you know, where they betray people that they love Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they'll say, you can, you you can use my name. You can use my name. (laughs) No. And then, and then, uh, you know, they'll say to me, and then she thought I was cheating on her. I'm like, you know, I know, (laughs) right? But he's bent the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, you've you're you're playing this part. Like, uh, is it you? Uh, okay, this is weird. Yeah, I was there. Um, um, I was. Huh. Hmm. That does what seem do that of? does seem really uh, strange. But that's happened it? more than once. Is that that's, right? Yeah, that's pretty standard for mm. for for these fellows. Yeah, they they do a thing, and then and it's not just it's not just the fellows. It's also other people. Um, and it's, uh, are you talking about women sometimes or children who, it's not, who exists, who exists as a, who exists as a category outside of women and men? Well, that's interesting. Okay. Well, I'm not talking a romantic thing with children, but I would say, yeah, I would say the children thing for sure. That mm-hmm. would, that, that would be the case. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, here's the thing. It's like, I'm also, and, and of course, like, you know, uh, uh trans women or uh, women, trans men or men. But I'm, I'm including uh, trans people in this as well. So I'm just like, there's just like the, the, the freaking rainbow I've seen, <laughs> you know, cheating on people that yeah. they love and care about. And then they build this reality uh, where, you know, they're, they don't. Of course not. And, and you think it's like the people are going, the very idea, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it's not an idea. It's, you do. I know. I know you do. What the fuck? What are you talking about? It, uh, it was like when I saw the, the Scott Pilgrim movie and mm. uh, he's ordering, he says he doesn't drink. And then he orders like two, two drinks. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they play the joke of just like, I don't want to drink. Oh, did you, do you want, you know, and it was like, he wasn't yeah. ordering for her. Yeah, yeah. He had the two drinks. So we're playing that. And then she goes like, you know, uh, I thought you didn't drink. I don't. And he's drinking and he puts the drinks down. I'm like, that's completely right. That's completely right. That's one of these scenes. There's just a small little scene that's in this movie that's 100% true. It's people who are just like, I don't do drugs. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. No, I don't. And that's what that's the, the, the running track in their head is, I don't do this. But you do. I've just seen you do it. Yeah. And they somehow, you know, because they, they can't accept that they are the type of person who would do that. Can I, can I ask you a question? Then could, yeah. would a country fall under this? Could, a, could there be a country that would say, <laughs> that's not me. That's not, that's not who I am. Would it be, would it be a country that wouldn't do that? Mm. That's, yeah, a, that's this, is a, this is a hypothetical question. Is we're just asking for a friend. It would also be a, really maybe a country thing to do to consistently say that you were the, the greatest person in the world. <laughs> You are describing, oh man, that's interesting. That's an interesting thing to, to like personify countries, you know, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't want to know a person who walked around and said, I mean, some people might, but I personally would not want to, I would not be interested in a person who th- literally thought they were the greatest person in the world. Like if that person mm-hmm. would be of no interest to me at all. That's, uh, that's interesting. Would you be okay if they thought they were the greatest at something? 
Like they were the greatest uh, guitar player. They just had that in their head. I'm just like, I think I'm probably the greatest guitar player. Well, if they said probably, <laughs> then, oh, then then I'm okay. I would you know I'm okay with that. But I feel like yeah, I think if someone thinks you're the greatest guitar player, I would think no, that's a that's a really unpleasant that's an unpleasant person. You know, they are they are they are not to be corrected. They they have nothing left to learn. They are they are they have reached a, a summit, and they 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 need they can just look down upon us all from that from that from that uh, perch. Well, there's uh, I will make a confession here. Mm-hmm. There was there was a time where I was doing I was doing sword play. Okay. And and I and uh, and a, a friend of mine came up to me afterwards and just said to me, "My friend loved that show." Yeah. And, and I was like, "Oh, I'm really glad to hear it." And she's like, no, 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 you're not getting this. Hand on my shoulder. <laughs> hey, that changed their life. Like, huh? oh, yeah, they, 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 they took me aside and said, that guy is talking about me. That's the funniest person. <laughs> yeah, he's like one of the funniest people in the show. No, <laughs> he's the funniest person yeah. I've ever seen. I think he's the funniest person there is. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, I, and, I, and at the moment I was like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> well sure i mean in that moment in the high it was like you know it was one of those where like i was very accepting in an improv way and that sounds like the worst thing in the world but i'm just like yeah i'm clearly the funniest person in the world yeah that makes sense um but at the time i was like yeah okay i'll accept that well who the fuck else is right now at this second yeah, yeah maybe okay for this hour right now yeah maybe but I think that I think that you're a large enough person, though, that you would soon disabuse yourself of that notion. Like okay. even in that moment, you well, could first accept of all, it. I don't appreciate the fat joke. But secondly, <laughs> how about the self disabuse? Oh, you're going like that. You're a large enough person. And listen, it's the it's it's, it's the lockdown. All right, we're all inside. Anyway, hey, we're no. I'm just, but I just I just was going to say I just think that you know. You are you are aware of yourself enough that you could see, you know. Excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. There I had to sneeze as I was talking. Thank you. Um, dusty. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yeah, you could. You know, you will have that feeling about yourself, and I think pe- people do. You finish a drawing, you finish something you've written, and you look at it and you go, "This is great!" Like I really knocked it out of the park. But then a few days later, you sit down again to do that, and you're just like, "Fuck! I am the worst. What is wrong with me? I can't make a circle." You know, it's just so. I know. I think that that's a more realistic view of yourself. Yeah, you can. You can ride a high, but to like always be there, to always look at yourself. Oh, no, that, that's a, you know, that's just into- that's an intolerable person to me. Also, know. also, I do always go through the thing of like when I look at something I've done in the past, I go like, I got no idea how I did that. I can't do <laughs> that again. If you ask me to like do this again, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, and that's a that's a thing because I do series of books. So, you know, I'm looking right now at Sparks and just going, oh, yeah, that's a that's a good book. Yeah, I can't do that again. Really? Because there's three books. <laughs> well, all right. Well, good I'm... luck. Even the second book I look at and I go like, oh, that's great. I could never do that again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know who that guy was who did this, but, you know, I wish him the best. <laughs> that's interesting. I th- maybe because I was starting from ground zero, I do think that I – my coloring has has improved from book to book. Mm. Not necessarily t- from the last book to this book. There, I may have plateaued, but I just mean that there. W- you know, I just thought looking back at them, which I have been. I do sometimes because I, I, you know, I'm looking back for a reference or something. A color I did a long time ago. I just look through the book and I'll be like, well, this is okay. You know, it's not it's not bad, not great, but it's pretty good. But 
you know, but if I look at it and look at the other one, and go, well, this is pretty good too. But it's, I think it's a an improvement. It's better. <laughs> I don't feel like I. So yeah, it's but maybe because I was starting from nothing, you know, like so. Well, but, it's hard to it's hard to sometimes when you yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you, you can't judge. It's not for you to judge. Once it's done, it's done. But even like looking at, uh, I'm going through this room full of old mini comics of mine. Yeah. And I look at the drawings that I did and just go like, I don't know how I did that. No idea. Not necessarily <laughs> the greatest thing in the world, yeah. but I just physically do not know how I did this. Or I'll look at videotape of, like I say, Space Arm. Yeah. And I'll just go like, well, that was an impossible project. <laughs> I don't know how I got that done, how we got that set built, how we did those costumes, yeah. how we put all this stuff together. No clue. None. Team, teamwork. That? That's, teamwork. Yeah, that's basically what you do is you just you give yourself no options you, and you bowl through. Yeah. And uh, like when we when the second Sparks book came out, and I'm sure Nina's sick of me telling this story. <laughs> um, but the, when the second Sparks book came out, yeah. we got like one really good review. And uh, then one that was just like, well, this wasn't as good as the last one. I was really disappointed, very disappointed. You know, the last one was fantastic, but yeah. this one, I don't even know, it was written by the same person. Yeah. And it was like everything that was inside me, yeah, yeah. you know, was just being said. It was just like, yeah, I'm a fraud. Say it. You're right. This guy should not have tried to duplicate that other guy's work. There is no business he has of working on this other thing. He has wasted Nina's time. He has wasted Dave's time. He has wasted Scholastic's time. I hope they stay in business. I hope they have a little money in the bank. Um, yeah, you're right. Fraud. Exactly. Fraud. And uh, then other things came in and people liked it. So that was fine. But uh, yeah, it was like, absolutely. That's That's funny. Yep. You no, tell I, me you've but, lost it. I'll go. Yeah, but but, yeah, every, but everyone feels that way. It's funny. I was just talking at work today with 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 a friend of work who uh, works in the office, and he had to do like a little run a meeting yesterday. Just like this is a toolbox meeting, you know, where we just discuss various you know safety issues and stuff in in the warehouse. And you know, he's say he's just saying how nervous he was doing, how nervous he gets doing it, and and he said, and also. I don't feel like I'm management. I feel like I'm you guys, you know, like, so then when I'm up there, I feel like, who am I to talk to these guys? You know, and I just, well, I said, but everyone feels that way. And I was like, it's called, uh, I couldn't remember what it's called. And I was just like, oh, my yeah. imposter syndrome. I was thinking imposter of, of course. Syndrome, yeah. And, but it was funny because we were talking a little while ago and I, it popped into my head. So I, I quickly sent a message, just imposter syndrome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, I think, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, you know, I mean, I suffered from that terribly as a farrier. And what made it terrible was that it's one thing to suffer from imposter syndrome working uh, at McDonald's, but it's another thing to suffer from imposter syndrome when you're dealing with people's beloved animals, you know? So yeah. my feeling of a, of a fraud couldn't survive mistakes that I would make. And that's just part of life. You make mistakes, you know, but at that time, you know, I was, I was just like so just so ill at ease with myself and just feeling like a like a like a just a big phony that if i made a mistake i just it just confirmed that i was not that i was a phony you know and whereas another person who was doing the same thing i was doing and that happened to them they were they're very likely to be kind of like no nah, it happens you know you make mistakes that's life you know can't can't sweat it you know of course i feel bad but you know you kind of let this thing, you know, you have to let it, you have to get over these things. Otherwise, you're just going to get stuck, right? Whereas I'm just like, oh, I have a failure and I'm, I am just having a nervous breakdown over this. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a thing, too, where you're not, where you're doing something that isn't necessarily the thing that's your thing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, 
what would have been the good scenario there would have been like would have been like you're the greatest farrier. You're so good mm-hmm. that you're gonna work on our rich people's horses. <laughs> this is gonna be your full life. You're yeah. gonna be like flown places to work on horses. You're so good at it. Would that have been oh now my life's better? Because now I'm really, really good at this thing. <laughs> no, because I would have felt no, I would have felt even worse. <laughs> it would have been yeah, more yeah, exactly. let's pile the pressure on. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. If I was a really good cashier, yeah. like really good, like really good at selling comic books in a store. Yeah. Holy shit, am I good? Like, <laughs> um, I go to comic book stores and the same people are working bless them, that's fine. You know, the same people are working at these comic book stores that were there when it was the eighties and I started to go as a child. Mm. They are still working there and they're fine at their job. Yeah. But and they and they do good. And I'm like, okay, so this was this was a this was a win for you. This is what you should be doing. And it was definitely not what I should have been doing. Yeah. But and yeah, I was feeling like crap because like, oh I'm no I'm no good at this. I'm no good at working in a video store. I'm bad at cash <laughs> at the end of the day. This one was stealing. Yeah. Neat. Um <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not good at this. And yeah, you get sick from it and you feel like a piece of shit. And it's like, no, you were doing what you shouldn't have. That's not your thing. Yeah. That's not what you should have been doing. So yeah, that's that's right. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. My my feeling like a fake was was real. Just because my heart wasn't in it as well. That's, yeah, 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 exactly. And it's the kind of thing that's like you're so close to an animal and something like that. It feels like the kind of thing like you don't want to be a vet that's in it for the money. Mm, yeah. Like you, yeah. You've got to love animals. You've got yeah. to love this and and it's got to be beyond what doing this as a job job yeah yeah exactly sure. there's certain there's certain things that are callings and yeah yeah, yeah wasn't that it wasn't your uh, thing was it not like uh, it. one one thing for me is uh that i surround myself with geniuses and like legitimately like since uh, and i'll throw i'll throw you in there for sure like when we were in high school and we started you were doing cartooning and i was doing cartooning yeah my cartooning was very very rough and yours was fucking brilliant. Yours was the kind of stuff that people looked at and just went, damn! They just step back and go, whoa! And you'd like infinite time into it and perspective would be perfect and all this, you know, you do some jumping through some glass and you draw every piece of broken glass and it's just fucking brilliant. And I'm like, okay, so if I appear in a comic with this guy, I gotta up my game. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I'm not gonna be able to match his thing because he's a genius, but I gotta, I gotta up my game to not waste his time. And that's the way I've kind of always gone. Hmm. And like working with Nina, Nina's a genius. Yeah. Nina is a fucking ridiculous genius. She's, she's amazing mm-hmm. at the things she's able to do. And then I look at her posts on Twitter and I'm like writing 10 dumb jokes a day. And then she <laughs> knocks like two out of the park that are just beyond home runs that she's like, Oh, on every level, that's better. God damn it. She's hilarious. <laughs> And, and my whole thing when I'm working with her is I don't want to waste her time because she's so good that I'm like, I better I gotta get as good as I can get. Same with Giselle, mm-hmm. uh, Legacy, yeah, with Extra yeah. Sisters, and for sure with Pia working on like Mannequin on the Moon and, you know, Super and, and anything I do with her. Yeah. It's like, she's a legitimate genius. Like she's like all these people are like some of the best in the world at what they do for real. And it's like, OK, I got to OK, here we go. Let's go. Let's get, mm-hmm. Let's raise it up. <laughs> when I started doing improv, it was in the same theater that Ryan Stiles and Colin Mockery were in. Yeah. And I should have legitimately gone, sat down, saw them perform, got up, fucked off, <laughs> and just go, well, they, they don't need me. I'm not going to add to this recipe. <laughs> 
<laughs> in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. No. Bye. Bye. Best improvisers are here. Goodbye. I gotta go. <laughs> I'm gonna leave now. Bye. <laughs> go back to work at the comic store. There's room yeah. for everyone. Okay, that's good. We had a <laughs> we had a thing that was interesting that happened yesterday, um, where uh, my wife does editorial cartoons, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't write the editorial cartoons that she does. She, yeah. she writes them, but she will run stuff by me or ask me for like advice on like a title or to tighten something up or some dialogue or what have sure. you. And she just done one that we kind of jammed on a little bit about Rush Limbaugh and, um, you know, on the river sticks. Okay. And that was, that was really, really beautiful. She just drew this drawing. It was just beautiful. Yeah. Of, you know, is it, is it Charon? Charon? Yeah. Charon. Yeah. Yeah. Sharon. I don't really know. Oh. It's Sharon. Yeah. yeah, so 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 beautiful. Karen. Yeah, yeah. He's on the Karen's on the phone <laughs> just and just, like, asking to speak to the manager. Um, <laughs> just but the Karen. The new the news story was about Ted Cruz uh, going to Cancun, and, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know, and it was just oh, this son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> and, and just trying to figure out the angle on it, and you know, running different things. And I was like, you know, trying to direct her towards certain things, like, well, what's the what's the sin that he's committed well how do we highlight that how do we highlight the hypocrisy what's the thing without like writing a joke myself trying to direct her towards you know the things that would might you know get her to where she needs to go yeah and she was saying yeah the problem is i know what it is you know it's that uh, you know it's like cancun and you know i just keep seeing a t at the end of it and he's just being a, a, a can cunt and i'm just <laughs> like but i can't do that that's not the joke I can't say that. And so just kept going for like another, you know, two hours, you know, of just like uh, doing stuff. And we did other things and kept coming back to it. And then I just, I, I, I went to her and I just went, the problem is that's the joke. You've got to do that. I know, I know it's not right to do it. I know there's <laughs> problems with it. I know why you wouldn't want to do it, but it is what it is. And so you have to do it. She's like, I know. Fuck. Okay. So she drew it up. And then people seem to really like it. <laughs> yeah. It all, worked, it all worked out fine. But it was like, that's the thing. And you're not doing the thing that you need to do. Yeah. This is the thing that it is. You're in denial that this is the thing that it is. You, I, I, with good reason, but that's what it's got to be. And hmm. you've got to like just yield to it and just go, all right, got to bring this to life. And you bring it to life. And, and she did, and it was fine. And it won't be in the newspapers for sure. (laughs) I hope she put a little asterisk beside it and said the British one. Sure. And then, uh, and then wrote the word fanny underneath. (laughs) He's wearing a fanny pack. No. Oh my gosh. Well, it's interesting actually thinking about talking about, uh, room for everyone. It just reminded me of something. Um, before he gets permanently cancelled by that new documentary coming out, I was um, I was I've been reading um, apropos of nothing, the um, Woody Allen. Yeah, let Autobio? me say why the documentary won't have that big an impact. Real quick, sure. It's a four-parter. <laughs> People lose interest. No one's got that kind of time. No one. <laughs> no one has that kind of time. Like you've got to then do a big reveal at the end of every episode, and I'm assuming they're an hour long each. I'm assuming that's just too long. That's just too long. It is. It's like, who's gonna who's gonna stick that out? What casual person? It's not Tiger King. What are you gonna What are you gonna do? Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Huh. So um, in this uh, this is very early on in, in Woody Allen's career. He he got he got hired to this NBC put together this idea of 
bringing in talent, bringing in writers and developing their talent so they could sort of, you know, work into the NBC system and become like star, star writers. Mm. And so he was one of, one of, he got in. And so he got into this thing. And so then they got sent to Los Angeles um, to kind of do a program there. And so um, he, he's there in Los Angeles very uncomfortable because he has to share a, a, a hotel room with a, with another man, which he's never done. He's never lived with another person in his life. You know, he's just a, um, with another man, you know, like he never had a brother. So he's just, what, what the heck is, but anyway, so he, um, so now one of the guys who is, who is um, leading this group is um, Danny Simon, who is Neil Simon's brother. Okay. So he and Neil Simon were like a writing team for, for many years. They worked like on the show shows and stuff like that. Um, and I guess, and then when Neil Simon decided to stop being a comedy, you know, a sketch writer and become like a playwright, Danny Simon was kind of left without a partner at that time, and so <clears throat> he was part of this group. And I guess he he um, you know took everyone's material to take it home and read it over. And Woody Allen said, you know, because he was the youngest guy there, Simon was very kind of skeptical about his involvement and kind of took the stuff took his stuff with kind of like a hmm, I'll take a look, but you know, didn't. Seem kind of slightly skeptical is how he describes it. And so then uh, he says, the next day when Danny Simon called me into his office, my life changed forever. He proceeded to tell me how terrific my jokes were and said, if I never learned to write sketches or plays or anything else, my jokes were so good I could make a great living with them alone. Needless to say, this was encouraging. He wanted to work with me. And since the departure of his younger brother, he was constantly searching for a working partner and maybe I was it. We began to collaborate on writing comedy sketches. Let me give you the picture. Danny was a very compulsive, demanding guy who fought with every partner he worked with after Doc. That was Neil Simon's nickname. Writers, writers on Danny's level had no patience with his scrupulous demands, his constant rewrite, rewriting, working all day on a single page to get over to get every straight line and punchline perfect without stopping the narrative flow, and then he'd reread the page, destroy it, pop yet another... Um, Mill, sorry, pop it yet another Milltown, the fashionable tranquilizer of the day, and begin again. Collaborators rebelled and he was merciless with them, and how many could follow in the footsteps of a comedy writer like Neil Simon? I, on the other hand, was a soft-spoken kid who knew nothing, idolized Danny and Doc Simon, could never imagine disagreeing with Danny because what the hell did I know, and so he found himself an ideal collaborator. He loved my jokes and thought me personally very funny. I suppose he enjoyed being so looked up to, and he taught me some key things. For example, great straight lines make great punchlines. Never have the character say something that wasn't perfectly natural just to get to a great punchline I had, I had waiting. He taught me to throw out even my finest jokes if they in any way halted or slowed the narrative, to always begin at the beginning and go right to the end of the sketch. Never to write a scene out of sequence. Never to write when you're not feeling well because the material will reflect the lack of energy and health. Never to be competitive. Always root for the success of your comp contemporaries as there's room for everybody. And most important, he taught me to trust my own judgment. No matter who tried to tell me what's funny or what isn't or what I should be doing, I was to go with my own judgment. Unless, of course, the person was him. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that was an interesting set of rules as well. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I liked uh, 
I do like some of the things he had to say there. I, the idea of not writing from not writing from the middle. I guess it does depend. If you're a compulsive person, which I am, I have a hard time with the idea of like working, you know, in out and stuff like that. Which I know you kind of like that idea of starting, not necessarily the beginning, but kind of starting somewhere near the middle and kind of working in, in other direction. I, I like. I have to trick myself sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought that, I thought that was an interesting set of rules, and and uh, and that's and it's it's curious because uh, Alan goes on to tell a story of of someone recommending that he. Um, apply to this um, kind of like summer theater program that was in another, you know, up some up, some upstate, some New England state, and he um, applied and got in, and and so he su- pro- provided some sketches, and and he was so confident he wasn't even there for the read through, wasn't even there for like the final rehearsal, and uh, one of the actresses, you know, talking to him, and she says, "You weren't at the, the the final rehearsal today," and he goes, he "Goes no, no, I don't need to be there. Like everyone knows what they're doing." And she said, "Well, your your sketches tanked. Like no one laughed." And he, and he said, "No, no, they're great. <laughs> they're they're fine. And they'll they'll you know I'm." And then that night, like they, they just they killed. And he said, "You know, I just because I just trusted my instinct of what is funny, you know." And they did so funny. There were like one was psychological warfare where the the characters are just taunting each other like like little kids in a playground. <laughs> <clears throat> the other one was um was a party where someone goes to and everyone's uh, Groucho marks at the party. Okay. And then what was the, the other one was um sorry I just have to zip through and just go ahead here you you vamp for me while I <laughs> there was a good story of him um oh wait here psychological warfare yeah you're too short da 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 and then the other one was a oh yeah the other one involved a, a general at Cape Canaveral phoning the mayor of New York to prepare him for the fact that a nuclear missile they were testing had misfired and was heading towards the city. Uh, which is the line, so here's why I'm calling Mr. Mayor, and try not to be a baby about it. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great, uh, it's a great line. So yeah, I thought all three sketches sounded great to me. Like uh, I could see how they would, uh, they would all do well in like a kind of review show or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really good book actually. Uh, it kind of starts off slow. I found the descriptions of him growing up. I don't think he really cares about that stuff very much. So his lack of enthusiasm or just let's get this over with, it kind of comes through a little bit. But once he starts describing like, uh, as a teenager starting to sell gags, uh, to, to newspaper columnists and then, you know, kind of, be, uh, slowly working his way into, to writing and, and, uh, you know, meeting a guy who becomes his manager because he gets him into that NBC program even though the guy was a shark and it didn't do very much for him, made him sign for seven years. Ellen felt that the guy had helped him enough that he would just stick with him for the seven years. And, and yeah, it's uh, his descriptions of like his first marriage, you know, he's excoriatingly honest of his own failings and stuff like that. And, and, uh, you know, it just talks about like, you know, that he married this woman and, and in no way was prepared for marriage, you know, had no concept of what he was getting into and, and, you know, just acted accordingly, you know, just, and uh, discussed his time with Louise Lasser, and yeah, and was a very interesting person. Um, apparently, came from a very kind of repressed family. Her mom committed suicide by overdosing, and that's while Woody Allen was working on um, on what's new Pussycat in in France. So he's in France, and Louise Lasser is in New York, and he called to see you know a call every couple of days, and they're talking, and she's like, you know, you'd love you'd love the Love to be here now. Like the the leaves are starting to turn, and it's really beautiful autumn. And and uh, what else? What else happened? Oh yeah, my mom killed herself. And he's like, what? Like, wh- like why didn't you call me? Like, why didn't you call and let me know? And she's like, well, why? What could you do? And he's like, well, and he's like, yeah, what could I do? But then he's like, well, I, you know, I could have consoled you. We could have talked to you. And she's like, no, I was, I was fine. 
That is so, so interesting. It's such a, such a weird thing, but yeah, I guess she's a very up down kind of person. Um, and that just, I don't know. That just really reminded me of like, that's how I found out my dad died was uh, as an aside that uh, a family member told me. Was, is, that, uh, is that right? Yeah, it was like um, they called. They called me. Yeah, and and and, and I, I said, uh, you know, so how's it going? And, and you know, I said, what's going on? Yeah, I think I said, uh, yeah, I said, what's going on? Yeah, and uh, and uh, they said, uh, oh, not much. Uh, you know, oh, dad died. <laughs> so weird. So, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like I think that they were hurting so much they wanted to lash out and mm. hurt me okay. at the time, and so it okay. was like set that way. Or maybe they were stunned, or maybe whatever. Yeah, or just I a shock. I don't know why. It. It's, it was a very out of character. Maybe it wasn't an out of character thing at the time yeah. for them to say, but that was that was how I found out that uh, that yeah, my dad had passed away because hmm. we were waiting for the call because it was like near you know it, it would have been any day that was going to happen, and uh, and so yeah, I don't know. That was uh, that's weird. You just mentioned that maybe maybe think of that. Sure. Um, so uh, Louise Lasher, I was just seeing if she was still alive, and indeed she is. She is. Yeah, she's uh, still friends with Woody Allen. They're still. Yeah. It's funny. Like, yeah, he's still still friends with Diane Keaton. Here's was, the thing. I, here's the thing. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, okay, and let's go with the idea that like uh, he did everything that is said that he did. Let's go like the worst case scenario. Worst case, case scenario. Worst case scenario. Everything is absolutely true. That's yeah. absolutely true. Uh, there you go. It's all. It's all. It's all true. Um, how did Mia Farrow get to adopt all those kids? Yeah. When you know she was a close. Okay, she was married to for a couple of years. Yeah. Two years, but dated for longer, and then according to her, never stopped dating. Yeah. Frank, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. If Frank Sinatra, it was just open that he was you know, had all these mob connections, like. How, how is there no, you know, you're the ex-wife of this person who, the, like, if you're doing a joke about them, the yeah. joke is that they'll have you killed if you look at them sideways. Yeah. That's the joke. Like, um, Jackie Mason did jokes about Frank Sinatra in his act. He got threats and then his hotel room was shot up with him in the room. He kept doing them uh, and he got his nose broken. Uh, because he was doing jokes about Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Frank Sinatra was friends with this guy, uh, Sam, I'm going to get his name wrong, Giancana. I, I, I'm going to pronounce okay, it incorrect. Sure. Okay. okay, but he's a guy who, you know, uh, he wore a ring, like he famously wore a ring that Sinatra gave him because they were such close friends. They were known to be really close friends. He was really, he was friends with Mia Farrow as well. All their friends, like she was friends with all these mafia people. And these are, you know, as horrible as the accusations here are, yeah. you know, these weren't accusations. This is just what they are. This is someone, you know, she's hanging out with friends with uh, a person who's a pimp, who's who's a contract killer, who's a mass murderer, uh, racketeer, all these things. And that's the company that's kept. And she's still adopting children. I just don't get that. <clears throat> I don't get. I don't get that at all. Well, I think like, she she distanced herself from Sinatra by that point because she was with Andre Previn when she when she started adopting the kids. Okay, but when she was married to him, yeah. So oh, well, here's the thing, though. Like you're saying distance, but like according to her, now they never really broke up. They always had a relationship, romantic relationship. Okay. That, like, I don't think that was generally known, though. Like, I, you know, it's very famous that she had broken up Andre Previn's marriage. Right. Right. Like the Dory Previn famously had like a nervous breakdown after her marriage ended with 
with Andre Previn. And she wrote a song called Beware of Little Girls about Mia Farrow. She was right. a singer-songwriter. Yeah. And there's also a song on that album that's basically exactly what happened to the daughter. It's we- it's a- that's a weird fucking conspiracy rabbit hole to go down. But I'm just, I'm just on the very basic level, yeah. you know, this was someone who was friends with, like, like when they went to dinner parties, they went to dinner parties with murderers, like open fucking murderers. Like this guy who was like, again, a very, very close friend of Sinatra's. Yeah. You know, he was like an assassin. He tried to kill Castro a couple of times. <laughs> like, like this is, that's, that's the thing that I don't get. Like, you know, when, when people talk about her, you know, again, think everything that you want about Alan. Yes. That's yes. Okay. Do that. If you want, I don't fucking know. You don't know. No one knows. Who knows? You know, there's, you can, you can make an argument either way there. But like just mm. her. I don't know about that, but okay. Okay. But just her on her own, it's someone who would marry somebody who was so connected with, again, murderers, sex traffickers. This was, this, this was their friends. This was who she, he worked with constantly. And that's like, mm, what are you going to do? That's the biz. <laughs> that you, that you, to, that you turn a deaf ear to murder. Mm-hmm. You know, just like, yeah, that's that's what are you going to do? Get out of show business? What are you going to do? Like, I, there are certain things that, you know, you can you can, you know, forgive people for and just go, what do you, you know, you know, but that is just that's that's insane to me. That's insane to me. I guess I, I, I and I hate that kind of world so much. It just feels like if you'd said like, well, you know, Frank was friends with a lot of Nazis. And, you know, you keep in touch with the Nazis as you go along. But she wasn't really that with the Nazis that much when she's adopting kids. But, like, that's what I feel like when you talk about the mafia. It's just like these are people that actively are murderers. (laughs) They're actively murderers. Yeah. Uh, They're active. And because they're pimps, uh, look, I don't think everyone who was working for them was a volunteer. So, you know, you know, these are people who are, you know, uh, sex traffickers. They are rapists. They are all the horrible things. Like, name a horrible thing. That's what they do, not just, you know, as a crazy serial killer, but like professionally, that's what they do. Sure. And that's her world. And yet everyone is like, you know, ah, she's nice. How? <laughs> I don't see where that comes from. And then as things progress, you know, multiple kids of hers accuse her of like, you know, abuse and all this. Stuff. Just, well, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Why is that not thought of at all? And it's like, no, no, she, yeah, it's nice. She's nice. Like, okay, what, what have you. But again, I'm not saying that he didn't do anything. I don't know. But I just say that's what I don't get about her. Well, I say he didn't do anything. So All right. That's, right. that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards that myself just because of these circumstances. But <laughs> because, you know, that, end, that ends a lot of our, you know, discussions. I just want to focus on, huh? What? Huh? Yeah. Why were people yeah. okay with Sinatra? Why were, why was everyone fine with that? I don't get that at all. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it wasn't He's breaking it's, noses. Who is Frank, Frank Sinatra? Well, Frank Sinatra's you know friend is breaking noses mm. for him. Yeah, you know, you know, you make fun of him, smack, and that's the you know those were all the jokes at like the roasts, which is like you you do something and uh, Frank will you know uh, get you get you beat up or whacked, and like th- there was that thing like when this all went down, you know, uh, she was joking about how Frank said. You know, want me to get him to kill him, and uh, and then I said to him, "Nah." And the reason that that's a story to tell is people go, "Yeah, yeah, Frank would do that." <laughs> and what, how is that a casual story to tell? You know, how is that? Yeah, that's fine because you know he can get a person killed and it's fine. He can assassinate someone. Sure, why not? 
Yeah, we're cool with it. Yeah, we like his songs. Sure. I throw my hands in the air. Didn't did it's? I mean, we talked about this on on uh, full marks, but didn't Zeppo steal his wife, Frank Sinatra's wife? These are good questions. I seem to remember that know. being as we talked about in the show, which is kind of is an enjoyable idea to me. Yeah, Dean Martin, uh, who actually grew up in like a mobbed up city in in uh, Pennsylvania, like Pittsburgh area, he um he had no time for gangsters. Like he he did not he had like he did not you know, suck up to them like Frank Sinatra did. He didn't romanticize them like Frank Sinatra. He had no time for them at all. And he always found that like a kind of a distasteful part of Frank Sinatra's personality that he, he's so, you know, he couldn't like, and I guess it's part of when you grow up, you know, you can, you can kind of romanticize that life. Well, you know, the way that Martin Scorsese did when he was a kid, you know, he, you know, the good fellas, the, the gangsters and stuff like that in his neighborhood, you know, he he worshipped them. He thought they were great guys. You know, it wasn't until he got older and he realized what, what they were and what their life yeah, and then entailed. Yeah, sh- then what I like about that is, like, then he shows what mm-hmm. they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think someone like Frank Sinatra just never, you know, just, it, it, you know, someone like, I think that he was a person who who had masculinity issues. You know, he had he had... Pro- True. Yeah. You know, and so for him, gangsters were like the sort of ultimate he manism. You know, like yeah, of- that was the joke was that he was possibly gay, like mm-hmm. and and gay in the in the way of like you know a, a sissy. Man. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was just yeah. like he's one of those fellas, mm-hmm. and so yeah, to have the tough guys around him toughened his image and and hardened sure. him and made him. You yeah. Know, I mean, you look at him in a movie like uh, On the Town. He's like as thin as a rail. You know, he's not. A, he's, not he's not a tough guy at all. <laughs> like. Like the the woman who's acting with in that movie seems seems stronger than him. Well, all the uh, jokes that you see in a Looney Tunes cartoon mm. are him as the thinnest guy who you can't <laughs> see behind the mic, and then all <laughs> the girls swooning and like Frankie. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. that wouldn't necessarily be what you wanted. Like you want to be the tough guy. Like you, no, no, you're that always, yeah. You're all yeah. oh, you're he like the ladies like him, you know, because he's a. I mean, there's no logic to it at all. Sure, yeah, the, yeah. You know the uh, the accusations and the stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you want like actually kind of a good breakdown of what it was like being a comedian back then, Cliff Nesteroff covers it yeah, uh, yeah. in his blog and in you know the comedians. Um, and uh, and speaking of which, I wanted to plug his new book. Have you heard about his new book? No. It's uh, it's we had a little real estate problem: the unheralded story of Native Americans in comedy that just came out, and uh, it's getting really amazing reviews. So yeah, wow. it's talking about. Uh, yeah, First Nations, Native Americans, and uh, the history of comedy. That's a that's one of Charlie Hill comedians' uh, uh, jokes. Uh, they would start off with, uh, "I'd say my people are from Wisconsin. We used to be from New York. We had a little real estate problem." <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that uh, just came out two days ago, our time, and uh, I'm looking forward very much to reading it. Also, I've got to read this Shirley Jackson book. And now I got to read this book you're talking about too. So God damn it, I got to read something. <laughs> um, that is, that's interesting. It reminds me for, when you said that about New York. Um, Lisa does this uh, regular part of First Nations, you know, social studies thing, when, and with her with her with her kids, her ESL kids, and uh, so she'll have them like make a poster with information about you know they can just choose uh, an Indian band or nation, whatever you call them. Uh, they can choose you know wherever America, North America doesn't matter, like. Canada, but, and so this one kid chose the Oneida uh, in New York, New York State, and uh, so he hands in this this you know big poster board covered with all these cutouts that he's done, and it's all it's all silverware 
from the Oneida, the Oneida Silverware Company, spoons and <laughs> knives and stuff on this poster. Uh, whoops, wrong Oneida, wrong Oneida. Oh Lord, all bless. Uh, at least I saved that for a long time because I just thought that was just like the funniest thing. Poor and boy. And then the kid who's bringing the Land of Lakes butter just like <laughs> quickly, quickly hit his underneath. I didn't get it done, teacher. Didn't get it Everything's done. Everything's great. <laughs> no, things, are, things are great. I'm fine. Fine. Yeah, everything's uh, everything's good. Also, that uh, you get that lunchbox with the Cree on it. That's the marble Cree. That's a alien race. Everything is a lot of. Okay, let's just look over everyone's stuff before we go, before we go any further. Listen, I'm giving you all a copy of Cliff Nesterov's book. Give it a, give it a read. And, uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. That's a that's a that's a corner of comedy. I'm I would say I'm not very. Uh, not very. Uh, well, this is what on. he does: is he finds, you mm-hmm. know, what no one's been talking about, and then fleshes out history. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, this all makes sense. This connects to this. This connects to this. I had no idea what a stand-up, like, why he, uh, someone was called a stand-up comedian before Cliff Nesteroff, which mm-hmm. was because it was the mafia thing of like he's a stand-up guy, mm-hmm. and it comes from that. And I'm like, oh, he's a stand-up, uh, stand-up comedian. And uh, and yeah, and, and a lot of people would say, you know, you, well, if you want to be in show business, then that's what you had to you had to go with those connections but i i've never i've never really bought that i always think there's always another path to go down um, i mean yes and no i think i mean depending where where, where what you're what you're we're doing but i mean like i say i mean dean martin who you know went came up through the clubs the same way that you know played the same clubs as frank sinatra and people like that you know he you know it was there i mean you had to acknowledge it but he you know he just didn't he just did not uh Cow, you know, kowtow to them. He didn't suck up to them. He didn't, didn't, you know, didn't have anything to do with them. He took, took the, you know, he got paid and he left. You know. Yeah, it's always embarrassing to people when you have that uh, person who doesn't go that path, and then it's <laughs> like, well, you got to, you, you don't have to. Oh, I'm mad at you. It makes all look bad. <laughs> jerk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously there were there were ways out, but it's hard to see. You know, like I mean, just. The nature of the time was everything was so was so mobbed up at that in those days, you know, like like it was just well, it, it was a brand new thing. Like that's the thing. It's like mm-hmm. how could you not do this? Well, it was so new mm-hmm. that you know, I don't know. Maybe there would be another path that could have been you know gone with that would have not been connected to. That. I don't know. Yeah, you know. But well, like, I think I think like people like Lenny Bruce and Jonathan Winters and. And people like that kind of found an alternate route, which was through the through the the beatnik clubs, like the Hungry sure, Eye, and, yeah. and and doing the playing in the whatever it's called, um, Mrs. O, was it Mrs. O'Leary's or whatever. There, you know, the club in O'Kelly's. O'Kelly's was the name of the club in Chicago. Place like that, where, where I mean, O'Kelly's probably a little mobbed up actually, but but you know, playing like the beatnik kind of places. I think I think they they kind of found a, you know, like like Woody Allen. Like regularly played like um, like lesbian bars in San Francisco and stuff like that, you know, you know, just kind of places where you, you know, you you were an outsider, so you went you you entertained other outsiders, you know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And like uh, I sort of started doing stand up uh, just before the comedy boom happened, the eighties comedy boom. Yeah. And uh, like I remember like hearing stories, but I'm not gonna say where. But like there's places that you know. Uh, uh, in North America and Canada that, you know, were connected in ways. And it was like, okay, well, I'm going to avoid that. I don't want to, I don't want any piece of that. Um, and luckily I was playing rooms that were small enough that it, it wasn't relevant. But then what happened was the comedy boom happened and so many places opened and all you needed was a microphone. 
because it was the cheapest form of entertainment uh, that, you know, none, it just spread too thin. It got too watered down. Yeah. That like, you know, no, no one can have a hold on this. It's too big now. So, you know, it just, uh, I don't know if, you know, any of that remained later, but it, I'd never really kind of heard of it again. It was not that, uh, that big a thing. Huh. Well, what well, do I know? But I'm not primarily a stand-up, so, you know, maybe it's different for yeah, and I mean, if there's something you really want to do, and I mean, if, if stand-up is your calling, if something something that you you know you just feel like driven to do and to entertain people to make to make them laugh, I mean, if you're kind of limited to like these sort of mobbed-up places where it's just kind of you just have to navigate this this yeah, minefield. I don't, know, I don't know if I buy that. I yeah. feel like if you want to if you want to play certain certain especially certain cities, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, then yeah, like I can see how Vegas, yeah, well, yeah, Vegas, <laughs> yes, okay, yeah. But you know, there's probably other other places and other ways. I think there's other ways. That's my suspicion. But again, we'd have to ask Cliff Nesterov. <laughs> one day we'll have him on the show, and uh, we'll, we'll that, see. That would be fun. Actually, he wants to plug his books and whatnot. Yeah, he's yeah. a he's a nice fellow. Well, tell him tell him that we have a solid listener sh- listenership of fifty people. I'm sure that he'll be a jump at the chance. Oh well, but are they nice people? Yeah, they're very nice. Oh, that's fine with that. Thing. Except for that one guy. All right, he knows uh, who he is. Yeah, no, I know who you're talking about, exactly. Um, look, Dave. Yeah. This has all been laying, you know, the groundwork. <laughs> you get uh, say laying everyone's, pipe. Fa- everyone's favorite part of the show. Okay, which is? Which where we uh, take a bite out of soap operas. Ooh, would that be Dork Shadows? That's right, where Dave has been watching, uh, like all of you out there, uh, you've probably been watching uh, reruns of Dark Shadows on uh, Tubi. Uh, or not Tubi. Chat. There you go. There you go. Every every week, we're trying it out, seeing if it works. Um, and, uh, and Dave's watching uh, reruns of it. Now, for those of you that don't know, it was a it was a uh, soap opera that ran in the sixties and seventies, or just seventies. Sixties uh, started in sixty six and finished, I think, in seventy one. Okay, very good. And uh, it was uh, different than most soap, soap operas, and that one of the characters was a vampire. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dave has been uh, watching it, and he's been updating us on uh, what he's been watching. I'm going to turn this now over to David. He can only do this when I invite him to do it. And so, <laughs> David, if you have the uh, invitation, please cross the threshold and tell us what Barnabas Collins has been up to. All right. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me in. Um, so, well, as you remember last last week when we were talking about the show, we had Angelique, the witch, uh, ruining Barnabas's life you know, in every which way that she could. And, and then she, uh, she made Sarah Barnabas's beloved sister sick. And in order to save her life, well, in order to have, to, to have, uh, Angelique perhaps save Sarah's life, he had to agree to marry her. And so Angelique saved Sarah's life. And Barnabas was kind of like, Oh, Oh, you're going to hold to that. Are you? <laughs> uh, so he, you know, so now he he uh, he insists that he's going to, uh, you know, keep his promise to Angelique, even though Joshua. I kept saying Josiah last last week, and then I was watching the uh-huh. show, um, like the day after we did the show, and someone said Joshua, and I was like Joshua. Ugh, how did I get Josiah? Anyway, it's <laughs> Joshua. Anytime I said Josiah last uh, last, I meant Joshua. Anyone? Anyway. So um, so Joshua disinherits Barnabas. So okay. he is, he's no longer just Joshua's son. He is no longer has he has no no longer has a job in the shipyards. 
He no longer has a place in the family. He no longer can stay in there, live in the house. And uh, so he's basically getting kicked out. But he's still going to marry Angelique. And so then his mom, Naomi, steps in. And because the deed for the old house, because they've now moved into Collinwood, the new, the new, the new digs, the fancier house, uh, the old house is standing empty. So she gives the deed to Barnabas so they can, can, they can still live near her and they'll be living in the old house, he and okay. Angelique. Now, Angelique was using the spirit of Jeremiah to torment Josette, as we last, we last heard, uh, and amongst others, also Barnabas. Uh, Jeremiah turns on Angelique because he's mm. angry that he cannot rest and now he has to wander the, the world because Angelique has woken him. And so there's some kind of interesting things that happen where uh, he's tormenting her and there's one thing where she like she's wearing her wedding dress and she turns and looks in the mirror and she's like all covered in blood. What? And, it's, and her dress is all covered in blood and torn and it kind of like it kind of reflects who she really is, you know? Like all the blood that's on her hands from how she got to this point. I thought it was kind of neat. And then he abducts her while she is, like, on the day of her wedding. She's, like, upstairs getting dressed. The preacher's downstairs. Barnabas is waiting for her. And she gets abducted by Jeremiah, the, the ghost of Jeremiah. And he takes her to the graveyard, and he starts to bury her alive. Yeah. But because Angelique still has her connection, her witch, witchy connection to Ben Stokes, she calls to Ben, and Ben comes to rescue her. And, of course, she, her dress is all ruined, though, because it's all covered in mud and dirt. And so Na- Naomi gives her a dress, one of her dresses, to, to get married in. And so Barnabas and Angelique are married. And you're just like, what's going on? Can't anyone tell that she's a witch? So Barnabas also moves Vicky into the old house, now that they have the old house, because her where she was hiding before the stables, it was getting kind of tricky that people were sort of getting suspicious that something was up there. So he moves Vicky into the old house to hide her from the authorities who, of course, think that she's a witch. But Angelique is jealous. <laughs> and, of course, also sees Vicky as a scapegoat. Because if Vicky is the witch, then Angelique, who is actually the witch, is not the witch. Right? So... Which is which? But Angelique also is, has been threatened by Abigail Collins. As you remember last time, that was the final episode we talked about last time. Abigail came to, to um, Angelique and accused her of being in league with Vicky as a witch. And so... Angelique wants, wants Ben, who is, of course, very unwilling, because Ben has been a victim of this Collins family for many years. He is a convict who works as an indentured servant for the family. He's working off his, working off his crime for them. And Joshua is, is a frickin' hard-ass jerk. So, you know, Ben doesn't want to do this, but a- Angelique abs- insists that he break into Abigail's room and steal a bit of ribbon so she can cast a spell on Abigail. And, but as Ben is doing this, Abigail catches him. And frightened, Ben insists that he is not doing it of his own will. He is under the control of a witch. Ah. And as he goes to speak her name, she's of course saying, it's Vicky, right? It's Vicky. And he's like, he's like, no, it's, but he is struck dumb because Angelique will not let him speak. So Vicky remains the suspect. So uh, Abigail is then prompted by this incident to recall the Reverend Trask. And um, so he shows up. Sorry, I'm just trying to find... I, I write in a weird way in these books, so now I'm... Right, so there isn't a witch that's preventing you from reading this next page. It's not, right? it's not a witch. It's just I forget how I've written it and I turn the but page... But you couldn't say... You could not yeah. say if it was a witch. I hear, Dave, yeah. uh, pretending the idea that witches are werewolves... Yeah. Uh, but, like, I, I'm going to try and get... Is there a werewolf that's stopping you? And that would really be a witch. Okay. Oh, okay, is there a... Is there like a... You know what we need to do, actually? 
because um, I there's someone in the room with me, so I can't really talk to you, but we haven't established a code where I could tell you something right. and you would know what I meant by it. But let me say, the situation's kind of hairy. Roger that. Anyway, Reverend Trask was brought back by Abigail to find and destroy Vicky. So Trask wants to perform an exorcism on the old house, because that's where all the bad things were happening before. That's partly why the families moved from the old house to Collinwood, even though Collinwood isn't completely finished yet. They just wanted to get out of this place that seemed cursed. Nothing good was happening there. Jeremiah died. Uh, other, you know, Sarah got sick. Barnabas got sick. It just seemed like nothing was going right there. So, so they, they moved to Collinwood. So Trask wants to perform an exorcism of the old house. And the idea is that by make, doing this exorcism, he'll make the house too hot to hold a witch. So she'll have to run out of the house. Right. So Barnabas is, at first he's kind of like, I don't want to be part of this because I don't believe in witchcraft and this is ridiculous. But then he also thinks, well, if I let this guy, if I let the baby have his bottle, then at least he'll stop bugging us and realize that, that there's no, the Vicky isn't here. Although Vicky is there. So, now, unknown to Barnabas, Angelique, simultaneous to Trask doing his exorcism, Angelique performs her own spell that creates um, the illusion that Vicky's room is on fire. So, oh, Vicky's, okay. Vicky's trying to put out the fire in this room, and she's just panicking. So, she, like, runs out of the house, because she thinks the house is on fire, right into the arms, basically, of Trask. Damn! Who now is certain she's a witch, because she was driven out of the house by his exorcism. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> now, during the confusion of all this stuff happening, though, Barnabas, passing by Angelique's room, heard her reciting the, the spell. So he didn't know what she was doing, but he heard her saying these words. And he's like, well, that's weird. That sounded strange. And then later, she lies about where she was in the house. Mm-hmm. She says, oh, I was in the back room. And he's like, to himself, he's like, no, you were in the front room because I heard you there. Why would you lie about this? So now he's starting to get suspicious. Like, what is this about? And he starts to wonder if maybe Angelique is the witch. Now, earlier, I didn't go into this, but earlier, because Ben had been captured at the house, stealing Abigail's ribbon, he got locked in the cellar of Collinwood. And you know, they were holding him so the police could come and arrest him. But when Barnabas went to comfort Ben, he conked him on the head with a bottle and took off. So, so now Barnabas, I mean, he probably wasn't super happy with Ben, but he wasn't like super upset. He understood why Ben did it. But he knows where Ben is, basically. He knows Ben's hiding spot. So he goes there to talk to Ben because he wants Ben to name the witch. And he says, I know you cannot speak her name, but I have taught you to spell and I want you to spell her name for me. Because that's part of another bit of the plot is that, you know, Ben is an ignorant savage basically to said yeah you know a guy who never went to school or whatever so so barnabas was teaching him to read and so and to write and so you know he says i want you to write the name and so um ben in the dust of this barrel puts puts a v and barnabas is like vicky and then he puts a cross through it and he says angelique and ben nods mm. and now he knows the truth so he knows that he knows that uh that angelique is a, is a witch and so and he knows what she's done to him and to others around, to other ones that he's loved, you know. She's the reason that he and Josette aren't together. She's the reason that Je- Jeremiah's dead. She's the reason that Sarah got sick. She's the reason that he got sick. He knows this. And so he decides he's going to poison her. And so he puts some, you know, he gets pours some sherry for her and he puts some poison into it. And then they're talking and then Naomi comes over. His mother comes. And so then 
uh, Josette offers the drink to Naomi, and Barnabas is like, it's got poison in it. So he's, he, like, accidentally knocks it out of her hand, but in such a clumsy way that Angelique's suspicions are aroused. And so she tastes a little bit of the residue of, of the glass, and she's like, ah, I know what Barnabas is doing to me. So she confronts him and basically says, if you kill me, I will kill... If you try to kill me, I will kill Josette. You know, I will destroy what you love. You cannot, you cannot win. So, um, so Barnabas, of course, has, is going to wants to warn Josette. So he, you know, goes to the warn her. But Angelique has cast another spell where she's made, she has like the, um, spies watching him, which are basically bats. Bats are like spying on Barnabas, and so he cannot warn Josette. Meanwhile, Vicky has been arrested, and she's waiting trial as a witch. And the young jailer who's who uh, is working in the jail, uh, who is sending to be a lawyer, offers to act in her defense. Uh, his, and his name is Peter Bradford. And so this is an actor now that we will n- now see play, oh, you know, four other characters in the show later on. But he, right now he's he's Peter Bradford. But and now Barnabas is finally able to to sneak out and meet Josette in secret, and he convinces her to leave immediately. Just drop everything and go. Stop at an inn, and he tells her what inn he wants her to stop at, because he thinks then she'll be beyond the power of, of Angelique. Stop stop at this inn, and then I will meet you there. Um, now, then, of course, Angel- or Josette's leaving. She's leaving with her aunt. Her aunt goes to Abigail and says, hey, I can't, I can't be a witness at the trial, at Vicky's trial, because I have to go with my, do- with my, with my niece. And she, wa- she wants to leave, and, and I'm, I'm happy that she does so. And then... Uh, but then Abigail's like, well, who's gonna go, go who's gonna go to uh, be a witness of the trial? So then she goes to Angelique, this stupid infernal busybody, and she says to Angelique, Well, listen, Josette's leaving with her aunt, or they've left. And of course Angelique's like, What? She's all upset, but she has to pretend that she isn't, and then Aunt Abigail's like, Well, will you be will you be um willing to to, to be a witness or you know, to, to act in the prosecution of, of Vicky? And of course she says yes. But she's really angry because because Barnabas has has done done dirty on her, and has has <clears throat> aided Josette in escaping. So she confronts Barnabas and she says, "You know, you think that Josette is out of my power. She is not beyond my range. You don't know how powerful I am." And at that moment, Barnabas shoots her. Oh. Unfortunately, he gets her in the shoulder, and so she's bleeding out. But she can still, with her last dying gasps, curse Barnabas. But basically cursing him to be a vampire to saying you will kill everyone you love you will only be able to live by night you your life you will live an eternity of pain and sorrow basically as her curse on him and then she she falls into unconsciousness and a bat appears and it attacks barnabas and bites his neck and it's a manful bit of acting by the actor playing barnabas jonathan freed i think his name is who has to pretend a toy bat is attacking his neck and acting great agony. In other ways, they kind of improve the bat effect by by using like a, a silhouette of a bat in front of the camera rather than a rubber bat on a stick. Oh, okay. So that that's a little improved about that way, but they don't really do that for they do it for the initial part of the bat's appearance, but then when it attacks Barnabas, he basically has to do like the puppet attack, you know, where you pretend a puppet's attacking you by attacking yourself. He's he's that guy with his emu. <laughs> um so then uh a mortally injured Barnabas is found by Ben who takes him up to his to his bedroom and puts him in his bed, and as he's as Barnabas is attempting to describe what happened, Angelique appears in the doorway. So she's not dead after all. 
So now that she's not dying, she furiously works to save Barnabas because she doesn't want the vampire curse to fall on her now because she wants him to be alive so that he can love her, you know? And so she's trying to prevent the curse from coming into power. Um, Josette and her aunt, meanwhile, are waiting at this small inn for, for Barnabas to show up. Suddenly, Josette begins to bleed from her neck from two small puncture wounds, and they don't understand why. But she feels like that Barnabas is in danger, and so she insists that they have to return back to Collinwood. So when, when, uh, uh, when Josette returns, Vicky is concerned because she knows that Josette commits suicide, and that time is approaching very soon. So she insists on, on having a meeting with Natalie's aunt, or sorry, with Josette's aunt, Natalie, and she warns her and directs her to to the um because when 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 um vicky arrived in this past she arrived in her modern clothes but she also arrived with the book she was holding when she disappeared which was the the collins family history Mm. which was this book published in 1965 explaining the history uh, as known at the time of the of the collins family so like it says in there that barnabas returned to england which wasn't true but that was the story that was Put around, but anyway, we won't get. I'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So, so um, she she tells um, Josette's aunt where it's hidden amongst her amongst her stuff at 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 the home, and uh, you know because she wants her to she wants her to to read it and understand that Josette is in deadly mortal danger, and that she has to leave. So, um, the unfortunate part of this is it only convinces everyone that Vicky is a witch. You know, that she would have such a book, that she have such knowledge, can only mean that she's a witch. Okay. Um, in his last moment of lucidity before he dies, Barnabas promises Josette that he will return to her. So that becomes her reason to not leave. So everyone's like, you got to leave. This book is saying that something up, you know, even if it's fake, we should just get you out of here. You don't want to be cursed by this Vicky, this witch. And, but she won't go because Barnabas has promised her that he would return. So like I was saying, Barnabas, Barnabas's death is covered up by the Collins family. So they just pretend that he's gone to England and they bury him in the, they inter him in the secret room in the mausoleum. And so that, that night, Angelique comes to the crypt, comes to the mausoleum, and she's going to drive a stake through the heart of Barnabas because she does not want any more trouble from Barnabas. So, cause she's alive. So she knows that him, him, him being a vampire is a threat to her. So she comes there to stake him. But unfortunately, it's one of those scenes where like the person takes like forever to do something that's relatively simple, which is to hammer a stake through a, through a living being. You know, okay, I know that would be hard if it was actual living being. But if yeah. you know it, as a witch that this person's a vampire and you got to get rid of them, what's the hesitation? Mm. Why, why are you fumfering around and making a big deal about this? So her fumfering immediately leads to him waking up and he strangles her to death. So she's done. She's gone now. That's a mistake, yeah. It was a mistake. Bad strategy is what I say. And also... They could have just thrown water at her. This is also dumb. <laughs> I, don't, dumb. I don't know if those rules apply in this in this universe. Okay. But, yeah, it's one of those things that just drives me crazy in a movie. Like when someone goes, I got to go investigate this haunted house. Then they leave at four in the afternoon and they get there at six and it's dark. You're like, why did you go at ten? If you're going to go investigate something, don't you want light? But anyhow, that's enough of my picky, picky picks. So she's dead. Now, Peter, uh, Vicky's jailer... Uh, slash lawyer. Let's um, let's let's Vicky out to retrieve the damning Collins family history that Natalie now has, because he's like, well, now that they have this book, they're gonna like use this against you, you know. So she's like, well, I I know where my, I know where it probably is. So if you let me out, I will I will get it. So he lets her out of jail, and she sneaks into the house into Collinwood. She uh, finds the book, but just as she finds it, Natalie sees her, 
discovers her in the room. And so she locks her in the room. And so, um, and then she goes to get help. Now that is the cliffhanger because it's oh. the end of season six. Not the, I, 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 there's more to talk about, but that's the cliffhanger for that season or whatever. Although I don't know how they did seasons because I, I, I kind of went down like kind of ruled the kind of whatever you call it, scroll down through the, um, the season. There's like 26 seasons. Well, that is not true. It was only on for six years. So I'm not too sure how they like counted seasons. Uh, but Vicky, so uh, to, to make everyone can rest at, at rest at ease. Vicky escaped because there was a secret door in this room. So she knew about the secret door. Cause she of course lives in Collinwood in, in, in our time or that their time, sixties. Uh, so she knows all the ins and outs. So she uses that to, to escape and she returns to jail. But, but the problem is, you know, she's saying like, well, it wasn't me. And Peter says, well, I was here. She didn't leave. They're like, well, now we know she's a witch because she was, she was in two places at once. So she can't win. Uh, she, um, but then she cannot help herself. When Naomi comes to visit, she warns Naomi of Sarah's imminent death as well. So you just can't help herself because, you know, she knows they're going to die. And she's like, listen, I have this knowledge. We can prevent this if you do these steps. And everyone's like, okay, we won't. And so, uh, so that night Sarah sees Barnabas, who's dead, but she sees him because he can't resist creeping around trying to see Josette. So he's out, he's outside being a creeper and she sees him and she's like, Barnabas. So she takes off into the outdoors, but he doesn't want to be seen by her. So he takes off too. And he, he heads into Collinsport and she goes out into the woods and gets lost or, or loses her way. It's a storm breaks. And she ends up, you know, taking shelter in a mausoleum. Meanwhile, um, Barnabas goes into town, meets a lady of the night. They don't really get too specific what this lady is because it's a TV show in the 60s. So you cannot say what she actually is. But let's just say she has a lot of male visitors. And uh, so he kills her. And when he returns to the crypt, he finds Sarah there. And he goes to comfort her, but he's covered in blood because he just killed this woman. And so Sarah is horrified and she runs away. She says, you're not Barnabas. And she runs away and she hides in the cemetery. And so she's hiding in the pouring rain and at night in the cemetery. And then now everyone's looking for her. And luckily Ben finds her and he picks her up and he takes her back to the house. But um, she's sick. She's really sick. In fact, she's, she's so sick she's dying. <laughs> and this is as Vicky warned. Let's put it that way. And so um, Ben sneaks Barnabas into the house so he can see her as himself, you know, because he doesn't want a, her, her last memory of him to be a monster. So he he sees her, he tells her how much she loves he loves her, she tells him how much he loves her, and then she dies. So um, Barnabas blames himself for this. He says, "I'm a monster. I'm a monster. There's nothing that I can do that will be good. I, I can only live with I can only live by drinking people's blood." So he wants Ben to kill him. So he says, when I go to sleep, to, you know, this, when I'm sleeping this morning, I want you to come in. I want you to stake me in the heart. And Ben's like, I can't do that. I, I love you. You're the only person who's ever been nice to me. And he's like, no, I'm not the person that I once was. I'm a monster. You need to kill me. And so Ben finally agrees to do it. And so that morning, he, uh, he goes to attempt to do it. And then he's interrupted by laughter. It's Angelique's laughter. And Angelique appears, her head appears to him. And she says... I will never allow you to kill Barnabas. Barnabas must suffer, you know, must suffer um, for all eternity. And he's like, no, I have to do it. And she says, well, where's your stake? And now his stake is gone. She's disappeared it. So, and so he can't. And so then Barnabas awakes and he's furious with Ben and goes to start strangling him. And he says, you see, 
the old me never would have done this to you, but I am a monster. And Ben's like, I would have done it, but Angelique stopped me. And Barnabas is like, gah, Angelique, you're a curse. <laughs> but, but Barnabas, even though he knows this is wrong, he cannot resist going to look at Josette, even sneaking into a room at night. And Josette awakens one night when he does this, and she gets out of bed and tells him how happy she is to see him, and they embrace, and Barnabas goes to bite her, and then he resists. He stops himself, but soon after that, he bites her. Like, at another meeting, he bites her, and now Josette is on her way to becoming a vampire. Oh. So now, I haven't talked... I talked about Cousin Millicent, but there's a kind of concurrent storyline that's happening, which is that Millicent... Cousin Millicent and Nathan Forbes, the dashing naval lieutenant, a bit of a ladies' man, if you know what I mean. He, uh, I don't know, what I mean, yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, he, um, he and Millicent are engaged and are planning their wedding, and it's all very happy. Millicent is ecstatic about it, but suddenly Nathan's wife, Suki Forbes, arrives in town looking for money. They are estranged, but she kind of like you know lives off him, so she comes to town and she wants money. And so he says, well, how much, you know, how much do you want? How much can I pay you so you leave? And she says, well, I need $400. And he says, okay. So he's going to give her $400. But when he leaves, the Yaki bar- barman tells her that Nathan is engaged to Millicent, who's very wealthy. And he's got into the Collins money. And so now Suki is like, well, $400, forget that chum change. I'm staying here for the big bucks. So she shows up at Collinswood as Suki Forbes, Nathan's sister. So she starts kind of insinuates herself into the family. Nathan is not happy about this and he wants her to leave. And he's like, how much will it take for you? How much will it take, it cost me to get you to leave? And she says, $5,000. And he's like, I don't have that kind of money. I can't just, and she says, well, get it from your, get it from your fiance. And he's like, well, I can't ask my fiance for money. So he's like, okay, let's, we can't talk about this here. Let's talk about it. Let's meet at the deserted old house. Like, no one's there. We can just have a meeting. We won't get be disturbed and we can hammer this out. So she agrees to that. Um, meanwhile, while this is happening, Aunt Natalie goes to visit Vicky because she wants Vicky to break the spell that's holding Josette, not realizing that it's Barnabas' spell that's, that Josette is under. And of course, Vicky's like, I haven't, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I'm not a witch. All right. Like I cannot, I cannot stop something that I, that I'm not, a, I'm not uh, doing so. But uh, Natalie, of course, Natalie doesn't believe her. Uh, at the same time, Jos- Jos- uh, Joshua, I almost called him Josiah, but I caught myself. Joshua goes to the tomb and discovers that Barnabas's coffin is empty. So he's wondering what's going on. Uh, so yeah, so then uh, Suki is, uh, goes to go to the old house to wait there for, for uh, Nathan. But while she's waiting there, she's discovered by Barnabas. And basically, you know, he's a vampire. He can do what he wants with her, but he just says, get out of here. You know, just leave the house. And she's like, wait a second, I know who you are. You're Barnabas. I recognize you from your portrait at, at, at the house. Uh, aren't you supposed to be dead? Aren't, aren't, isn't this an ample opportunity for me to make a little bit more money blackmailing people? And uh, Barnabas says, you're right. But also, I'm a psychopath and a vampire, so I'm going to kill you. So he kills her. <laughs> and she's found by Nathan. But she tells Nathan that she was killed by Barnabas. Ah. So now Nathan knows the truth about Barnabas. Now, Cousin Millicent, intending to do a good deed, uh, goes through Suki's papers, because when, when Suki gets killed, so she wants to do a good deed, and so she she uh, is going to write to uh, Suki and Nathan's aunt to let them let her know that Suki's been killed. 
But, but while doing this, she discovers the marriage license that tells her that Nathan and Suki aren't brother and sister, but are husband and wife. So she breaks off the engagement with Nathan and an outraged Joshua basically tells Nathan that he is no longer welcome at the shipyards and that he's going to tell the Navy, like his, his superiors, that he is a, you know, he was a bigamist or potentially a bigamist and a, and a, and a cad. So, uh, let me just jump ahead here because I, I, I got ahead of myself in my story. So Josette has been locked in a room, but escapes to meet Barnabas to finish her transformation. But Angelique, using Barnabas's voice, lures her to Widow's Hill. Mm-hmm. Now, Widow's Hill is a, a steep cliff where many women have, have committed suicide through the years. And in the earlier part of the show, when, when um, Elizabeth Collins was, or Colin Stoddard was under the was being blackmailed into marrying uh, Maguire. She went there contemplating suicide and it was Vicky who came in and talked her away from killing herself. So we kind of know what Widow's Hill is. And this is where Angelique lures Josette, but she also beckons Barnabas hither. So Barnabas is going there as well. But at Widow's Hill, Angelique shows Josette a terrifying vision of herself as a vampire. So just showing, this is what Barnabas is going to turn you into. This is what you will look like. And so it's Josette, you know, all haggard, her face pale and drawn, blood blood stained, you know, just like full on vampire. And she's of course horrified by this. So when Barnabas arrives, she's so terrified of him. She attempts to escape, loses her footing and plunges to her death. Now I didn't like this very much because to me, the story was that Josette discovered who Barnabas was and what he wanted her to be. And it was her choice to enter life rather than remain in his control. Okay. And I kind of thought that was better than her accidentally falling to her death after being shown this vision, true or false, from Angelique. I feel like she doesn't have any agency in that situation. You know, like she's not acting mm-hmm. under her own, her own uh, moral, con- like her own moral decisions, right? So I don't like that very much. I kind of understand that they probably couldn't show us suicide though on a TV show at this time uh, period. All right. Yeah. So that's probably why they had to like alter it. But it, it ruined it a little bit for me. Like that, that, cause I, to me, in my mind, that was what the story was about. Just from the kind of hints and stuff that had been given. Um, so, so now Josette is dead. Barnabas is, of course, very upset. Angelique is laughing. <laughs> Got you again, Barnabas. A sad Millicent is wandering around the property. She's very depressed and also kind of jaded. She's become a cynic. She's no longer the jolly Millicent of before, the, the dodo I called her before. Now she's like this jaded, cynical girl who realizes that people are liars and nothing is true and life sucks. <laughs> boo, I'm going to go kick a few rocks around in the field. But while she's doing that, she meets Barnabas. But, of course, no one believes her. She's like, I'm trying to tell you guys, I saw Barnabas out there. They're like, ha ha. Uh, it's at this point that Vicky's trial begins. And so we start seeing that, 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 so Trask is the prosecutor, Peter Bradford, her, her jailer slash lawyer is a uh, slash boyfriend, by the way, he's got, he's got the hots for Vicky. And by the way, she's good looking. I don't blame her. I don't blame him. So, um, but the actor playing the Peter Bradford, he's a little like too strident in his voice. Like he's very like, kind of loud sounding. I don't know if, if I, he's very sharp voice. And so it, he just always feels like he's like overdoing it, you know, like there's like no, there's like no lower key to his performance ever. Like we get it. You're, uh, you're very resolute and also, uh, self-righteous, but geez, tone it <laughs> down a little bit. Uh, Barnabas uses his powers to raise Josette from the dead. And Josette appears to him as a veiled, like in a, in a, in a bridal, 
like as a, as a bride, but with a veil. And she's like, you shouldn't have called me. You shouldn't have brought me, you know, shouldn't have called me back to, to quote unquote life or whatever. Yeah. And Barnabas never, is like, never a good idea. Yeah. And Barnabas is like, Barnabas is like, uh, well, he begs to differ and she begs to be left alone, to be left to. And so then she raises her veil and reveals her disfigured face from falling onto rocks Ooh. and it's all dis- damaged and destroyed and one eyeball is poked out and everything yeah. and you're like Bleh. and he and even barnabas is horrified he's a vampire that's pretty harsh for a soap opera yeah it is yeah yeah so uh at this point abigail um decides to investigate the old house i'm not too sure why i think she's wants to find the dirty on on uh vicky so she goes there to, to check out to, to see if she can find that book that Collins family history, which will surely, surely put the nail in the coffin for Vicky. So, so she uh, goes over there and she finds Barnabas's coffin though. Cause Barnabas has moved his coffin there after, uh, Joshua keeps showing up and looking at it <laughs> because, Oh yeah, there's another part where Joshua did go back and check on it, but he goes at night or he goes in the daytime and then, and Barnabas is there. So he's like, okay, I don't know what I was thinking, but here he is. So everyone else is lying. So then, um, but so, yeah, so she finds a coffin there and then Barnabas appears and they have a confrontation because she's never liked him. He's, you know, he's, he's the liberal, you know, he likes, he likes convicts and he, he's, he supports witches like Vicky and stuff like that. But then he reveals who he is. Like he like puts, goes on full on vampire to her and she dies of a heart attack. So then he like drags her to the house and leads, leaves her by a tree. So, um, now Peter attempts to get Nathan, one of earlier, one of Vic, Vicky's staunchest allies to testify on her behalf. But when D- Nathan does appear, he now is Trask's witness and he perjures himself on Trask's behalf. And we learn, of course, that Trask is, is, um, is, uh, blackmailing him. Basically he will, he will act to, as a kind of go between and get, and get things smoothed over with Joshua and kind of get, so Nathan's naval career is not at risk. So he's selling out on Vicky for his career. Uh, but, just as things are looking bleak for Vicky, Ben appears. But good old Ben, for all the things he's done, they're kind of bad, but mostly because he's been in the control of Angelique. He really is like a good-hearted dude. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he did as a convict, but he appears and he comes there to, to testify on Vicky's behalf. And because Angelique is dead, he names, he's able to name Angelique as the witch. Ah. But at this point, damn it all, Angelique, she materializes and walks into the room to testify and she's slyly, while pretending that she's friends with Vicky, she also condemns her as a witch. So now things are just like dead in the water. Like Vicky is doomed, right? But Peter convinces Vicky, the last desperate attempt that she should tell the truth of who she is. Because she is not, she's been telling people who she is. Like she has not said, pretended that she's from that time period. She's like, I'm from the future. Like I, I'm from a different time period. Like I do not, you know, that's why I came in those crazy clothes. Cause I'm from a different time. So whatever is ever like, everyone's like, this woman's mad or she's insane or she's a witch. So Peter's like, you have to tell the truth. And so, you know, they bring out the book, which was published in 1965 and has the history of the family all the way up to 1965. And she tells him the truth that she, but unfortunately she has to admit that she was at a seance, which of course gets Trask even louder than he was before. Talk about one note performance. He and Peter together. My God. Uh, He's like, this lady was involved in a thing with demon, devil, Satan, blah, 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 you know, and seance. And so uh, the end result is that Vicky is sentenced to be hanged as a witch. And that is where we end this episode of Dork Shadows. 
nice. a lot of fun yeah so it's kind of cool like uh like it's kind of like that they were just like okay well we can have like a vampire thing happen but well hey why don't we do the crucible while we're here this would be fun so yeah that's it's good fun that's oh, very cool yeah all right so you've all been updated you all good okay <laughs> you can you can watch ahead by the way and follow along with dave later and then correct them yeah that's another thing you can do i'd love that um, so I'm going to go to our mailbag now. Please do. Uh, last week we asked, as our question of the week, what movie or TV show would you like to improve by replacing one cast member? And another question that was from our friend Louise, what song makes you cry? So the first hmm. person to respond to Louise is Louise. Oh, wow, the <laughs> fix is in here. <laughs> this is like someone winning our contest twice in a row. This is like all, eh, nothing. That's eh, all, doesn't seem legitimate. I think the mob might be involved. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Louise writes, uh, oh, because I mixed up uh, uh, two people. Uh, Ian, rest easy. I don't remember any time you mixed up William Goldman uh, with William Golding in conversation. I remember. I remember when you did that. Yeah, did you? Yeah, you did. Like, that, uh, that episode <laughs> last time. Did I ever mix him up with Oscar Goldman from uh, Six Million Dollar Man? You did. That's my big concern. You did. Oh, no. Um, but I uh, do think you should also apologize to Henry Golden, just in case you mix them up with Henry Fielding. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Listen, let me just take our younger listeners aside and yeah. just tell them all these references. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't fucking know, kids. I don't know. I'm shrugging my shoulders. I don't know. Okay. Look them up. Google. All right. Speaking of The Lord of the Flies, uh, that was just one of the miserable novels we had to read in school. If a book was set after a nuclear holocaust... There was about a dystopian society, class division, eugenics, barnyard animals, private school boys behaving badly. We read it. These included <laughs> The White Mountains, The Chrysalids, 1984, Brave New World, Animal Farm, Of Mice and Men, The Pearl, and A Separate Piece. Uh, I wonder how many students were turned off uh, reading uh, with such a grim curriculum. Yeah, what was with that? Yeah, I don't understand what? that myself. I, I agree with Why that. Everything uh, like a, a, a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, another one was uh, I Never Promise You a Rose Garden, which was not a happy one either. I remember reading the Graham Greene short story, The Destroyers, which is about those boys going in and like smashing a house apart. This old man's house, like just cra- breaking it up. During, it like, takes place during World War II. And then um, there's a close shave, of course, where the guy has to shave the 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 bad guy, and of course he doesn't kill him. Um, yeah, it's just endless, endless like sadness. And uh, here's what I think it is: I think it just stems from the prejudice against comedy. Yeah, like, the reason yeah. comedy never mm. wins Best Picture at the Oscars for sure. It's yeah, it's it's because you know it's serious, and so it's drama, so it's more serious. But if you had a laugh or enjoyed yourself, oh oh oh, no 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 then it can't be good for you because it's like candy and you got to eat your vegetables, uh, especially when they're covered in dystopia. I just want to say uh, that I don't, I just want to say one thing though. Is that, uh, I don't think that the chrysalids or the white mountains counts as a dystopian society. Did you read the white mountains trilogy? I think that's when she's talking I did, about. That's no. oh, a very good, it was, I mean, I read it, I read it as an elementary school kid, but I mean, it was, and I do own them. I own them now because I, I loved them so much as a kid. But yeah, it's a three-part. It's a trilogy of, of stories about a, a group of plucky boys who are able to uh, foil a, an alien invasion of, of Earth. And you know, it has a happy ending. It's not a dystopian. It's you know, it's about tr- a triumph over over evil. Um, 
And then the chrysalids, once again, I mean, I, I guess it's about, it's, I don't think that's about eugenics. It's about, it's about people living in like in a post, in a post-apocalyptic time after where there's radiation and there are people are in the, about mutations. But once again, I don't think that's an unhappy story. It's about people who are different finding others like them that they can, they can be together with, you know. Okay. So I would take those two books out of that like negative thing myself, but maybe. I, here's, here's a, I'm going to throw this out as a question of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, uh, what book did you read in high, were you, let's say in any circumstance, Yeah. were you forced to read? You had to mandatory, yeah. Yeah. uh, that you were like, boy, that was really great. Boy, howdy. That <laughs> one. I did. I well, to kill a, to kill a mockingbird. Okay. Well, there you go. We've gotten that one out of the way. Now it's not to kill a mockingbird. What else would you uh, say is, uh, is, you know, one that whoa, I, yeah, I didn't want to, but I, I had to, but I'm glad I did because I didn't have a choice. Speaking of miserable, <laughs> I dreamed a dream on my own, and the many uh, deathbed songs from Les Mis can make me cry. Uh, but the first pop song that choked me up as a kid was Elton John's Daniel. I'm not sure why. Uh, the synth piano and flute sounds are not that sad, and the lyrics are not that specific as to uh, what's up with Daniel and why is he headed for Spain. Uh, but if your brother has scars that won't heal, and if his eyes have died, something bad must have happened to him. And if you miss him so much, I feel for you. Apparently, Bernie Topin was inspired to write the lyrics after reading an article about a Vietnam vet, but the vagueness of the lyrics uh, lets you imagine your own melancholy scenario. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking today, sorry, I was listening to Piano Man today. It was playing. Okay. And I thought, like, Pian- Piano Man is infinitely more interesting to me if you put quotes around uh, almost all of the characters. <laughs> yeah. Why? And it's Davy, put in quotes, that's still in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And probably <laughs> still will be for life. And it's just like everyone. Paul is a real estate novelist mm-hmm, who never had time for a wife. Like, any, any one of the lyrics in there works, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I see you're taking it all as like a bunch of euphemisms. I'm not doing the full that it's a gay bar thing. I'm, I think like any, any, just, it's just funny to, to, to put that up for like anything. Just like, you know, uh, you know, they put bread in my jar and say, man, what are you doing here? It's just, it just makes it more fun song. Um, Louise continues. I forgot that flowers for Algernon should also be on the list of dismal picks. It was also on the curriculum. What teen doesn't want to read about medical experimentation that doesn't go too well? Dave, <laughs> were we both in that play? Yep. Yeah. I played the dad. The, I played the cowardly the, dad who... who I, I played the character who had a bigger part than got cast in something else. So I turned the part at school down. And then I went, I, there's no way I could do this other part. And so I went back to the school and like, can I have that part? No, now we've given that part away. Why don't you have this one line? Like, okay. <laughs> so I got a small part. So that was me. Uh, I was cast in a Fire Hall production of Torch Song Trilogy. Oh wow! And then it was just like it was just too much. It was just too much time rehearsal wise. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't do it, and also do school. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and such. Dag nabbit. Uh, yep. Laurel Robertson writes, "Hey, Ian and David, and all. Hello. I have no answer for question one uh, yet. I'll keep mulling that one over." Uh, but I did come up with an answer to question number two. Uh, there were two Beatles songs that can still kind of get to me, 
uh, not causing actual tears. They bring a real sense of, if not causing actual tears, they bring a real sense of melancholy. Eleanor Rigby is one. That's almost a given, right? Uh, the other <laughs> yep. is for, for no one. Mm, yeah, sad. From the Revolver album. Fortunately, there are a few really delightful peppy tunes on said record that lift one's spirits right back up. A nice balance. I love that album. Dave, <laughs> is it your favorite Beatles album? It is my favorite Beatles album still. Okay, and if you want to hear Dave talk about that one, go to our completely Beatles episode, uh, Revolver. And, uh, and we talk about that one for a whole damn episode. Um, <laughs> also, in answer to last week's favorite vampire question, it took me all this time to come up with mine. 1970s Count Yorga Vampire. Does anyone remember him? There was a sequel to this one a year later. Didn't see that. But somehow I did see the original and at the theater, which makes no sense. <laughs> Even looking at the trailer now, I think my mom wouldn't have dropped me and my friends off to see it when it came out. Must have been a friend's nice mom. <laughs> nice. Uh, put that in quotes. Uh, who let us uh, go to see it. Whatever. I completely. I was completely mesmerized by Robert Quarry as Count Yorga. I'd have likely stretched my 12-year-old neck out for him. <laughs> and if he had accepted, what a creep. Um, when I was in elementary school, I liked to read a teen magazine, 16. In the later 60s, uh, your dark shadow people were always featured in it. It was uh, the show, as the show was very popular then. I was not living in the country at the time, so I missed the show's peak years, but I did catch a few from the early 70s. It's fun hearing you doing your play-by-play -play on the show each week. Seems like a lot of work, taking all those notes for our benefit. I know. Thanks. I can't help myself. I'm such an idiot. Lastly, I'm with you, Louise, on the book choices teacher inflicted on us when I was in school. Many of those you mentioned I had to read as well. I have to say... I did not get one thing out of them. It's just the truth. And I love to read. Currently, my husband is uh, taking our 13-year-old grandson uh, into talking, reading. Talking, talking. Talking, sorry, talking. Our 13-year-old grandson uh, into reading Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> uh, grandson is 13. Yep. But I have to say that Sparks and Sparks Double Dog Dare, loving kid, is not really into it so far. Uh, and, he is, uh, and he is in the second chapter. Uh, what I say is good luck, and your grandpa is crazy. <laughs> Have a great fun week, everybody. Well, I think you'll be Thank happy you. to hear the third Sparks book has the meaning the characters from The Grapes of Wrath. Oh. Wherever a dog is dressing as a cat, uh, I'll be there. Wait, that's not how <laughs> That's a different... Uh, well, that's Grapes of Wrath. I was thinking of... Uh, for some reason, I was thinking of um, that other Steinbeck book uh, with the two, the two, the two guys in them. <sighs> You know the Mice one. Mason Men. Men, 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 yeah. yeah. We talked about it earlier in the show. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Sparks, the next one, we're basically doing Grapes of Wrath, so it's fine. <laughs> My favorite, uh, you know, thing is, of course, the Simpsons, you know, with uh, here's the grapes and here's the wrath. That one comes down Gallagher style. <laughs> Excellent wrath. Uh, Chris Roberts writes, uh, Good luck, by the way. By the way, that is uh, one of my sister-in-law's favorite books. She was reading it, and then she watched the movie, and I just, oh, just kept going on about how much uh, she liked it. So, you know, uh, hopefully. Good luck. Chris Roberts. Music can tap powerfully into kind, all kinds of emotions, and it isn't only the sad songs that can make me cry. Sometimes I know exactly why this is happening. Kentucky Avenue by Tom Waits is a good example of a song whose lyrics and melody gradually build towards a very moving climax. But I'm also a sucker for From a Silver Fail? File. File, okay. By Gene Clark. 
even though I haven't a clue what it means. Do you know what it means, Dave? <laughs> I don't. I did play it on the show one time. It was one of our sword songs. I also wept, literally wept, pretty much all the way through the Mamma Mia movie. Uh, why? Who knows? Even as it was happening, I was thinking, this is ridiculous. <laughs> all I can figure is these insanely catchy songs have implanted themselves in teenage me in a way that enabled me to reconnect with my younger self many years later. I had to really steal myself to watch the sequel. Luckily, however, it was a pile of shit. So that took the edge off. <laughs> Good job, pile of shit. Uh, I think the last time I cried while listening to music was when the remixed, remastered Abbey Road came out. I listened to it from start to finish. Yes, even Maxwell and Octopus. <laughs> and got caught out all over again by just how uplifting the high points are. Particularly the closing section of the melody. Medley. Golden Medley. Medley, sorry, med, medley. I've been doing this now for three hours. For, uh, medley, uh, you did give me a nice break, though, with that uh, vampire talk. Uh, from Golden Slumbers to the end. And again, if you want to hear us talk about Abbey Road, completely Beatles, we do a full episode on that. If you want to hear us talk about the White Album, two episodes, for crying out loud, with our special guest, David M. <laughs> yes, that's and, true. Edward Dragansky writes, oh, it's good to hear from Edward. Yeah. Uh, just, just in time, I hope. Oh, oh, plenty of time. Don't worry about that. Uh, just in time, I hope. Texas has been frozen solid from border to border, and uh, we just were restored to full power last night, and the internet started working today. Okay, wow. we're wow. worried about you. Hope you're doing okay. Um, we're not all that prepared for sub-zero temps, minus two degrees Fahrenheit, and snow that doesn't melt within a 24-hour period. So the power grid for the entire state was regulating uh, controlled blackouts since Monday. Uh, the end is in sight, though. It should be in the 60s by Saturday. Good to hear. And the nice thing is you've had Ted Cruz there the whole time. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's not always in state. He's often in Washington, isn't he? You know, the nice thing, though, he left his dog behind to look after things. Oh, good. And the, and the dog almost froze. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's so many the levels of... He phoned and asked his dog how things were going. The dog said, rough. Rough. Yeah, <laughs> I was hope leaving that for you, but okay, I thought you... Oh, I thought you were... Here's what I thought you were doing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it with a Texas accent. <laughs> I don't even know how to do that. Sorry. I know. I don't even know either. <laughs> I, did, I did it in an Austin accent. All right, go ahead. Rough. There we go. Not to disparage Jack Black once again. Oh, it's time for your black bashing. Yeah, that's Jack Black. Let's make that very clear. It's the Jack Black blacklist. Yeah, it's the Black Black Jack Blacklist. Um, we're gonna, it's, it used to be called the Jack Black Balls, but no, not the best. So, to just not to disparage Jack Black once again, but I thought he just didn't fish the image uh, for his role in 2005's King Kong. Seeing him cast alongside Naomi Watts and Adrian Brody, who looked like they belonged to the 1930s, uh, just didn't seem like he was immersed in the time period. Sorry, Jack. I suppose I'm attempting to compare him to the magnificent Jeff Bridges in <laughs> King Kong from 1976, who I think had just been great in just about every role he's been given. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Bridges. I hope we have him around for many, many more roles. I agree, though, boy, I don't know mm, when you're talking about that film. Mm, I'm not 100% sure about uh, that King Kong movie. But that life, if what, you enjoyed it, the, the 76 one? 76. I don't, I've, that, never, I've never seen it. That's the Twin Towers one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, Ed didn't suggest a replacement for Jack Black in that movie. Oh, yeah. Who would you replace him with? Yeah. Oh, I guess I guess Jeff Bridges. Well, no, we can't replace him with someone who's already done the part in a different movie. I don't know. 
All right, fine. <laughs> the, what are the oh cheaters? Mr. Mayhem, the rules, okay. Well, I well, just feel like. I guess beauty killed the bit. <laughs> Has uh, Sofia Coppola ever been forgiven for her role in The Godfather Part Three? Well, they're doing the re-cut uh, of that. I'll see how yeah. much of that she's in. Yeah. Uh, wasn't she the target of that film's misfortune? Indeed, she was. There was blame to go around, but yeah, she took a lot of the heat. Yeah, she did. Or was it Coppola himself who uh, just wasn't up to directing a third installment? If I remember correctly... Winona Ryder was originally cast as Mary Corleone, uh, along with a whole mess of other production problems, like redubbing uh, Sofia Coppola's voice due to a less than stellar early screening. It's a good thing she's chosen uh, to be a director these days. Hopefully, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree or the winery. <laughs> let me let me say, by the way, she has got a nice restaurant in San Francisco that is just under um, uh, uh, Coppola's editing studio. Uh, what's it? Uh, um, Mama Coppola's? So, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, Nabom Coppola's. Uh, and then the what's his editing studio called? So, uh, like his production company is Zoe. Zoe Troop, so, yeah. Yeah, it's oh man, it's uh, it's, it's such a great. I thought it was his restaurant. It's her restaurant though. Uh, it's her restaurant that he bought for he got for her. Oh, so it's uh, there is some of his stuff up in it, but it's her it's her place. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, it's a good thing she's all right. So the director, that's right. In retrospect. It had to be an insanely... Oh, the meatballs there. Now I want those. Anyway, in retrospect, <laughs> it had to be an insanely uh, difficult to maintain the bar set by the previous two Godfather films after a span of 16 years. These two films alone are the gold standard for so many films that followed. And yes, Ian, you need to watch them both if you haven't already. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because that's sort of what we were talking about earlier. was like, how do I follow what I've done? Uh, Coppola has that problem. Oh, boy. <laughs> But, oh, by the way, these meatballs I'm telling you about, they're the meatballs from The Godfather. Mm -hmm, uh, yeah. That recipe. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good. It was Dave good. And I, oh, Dave and I, just lovely. Had a lovely time. Met some good new friends that yeah, night. Yeah, that's right. Oh, lovely times all the way around. Uh, remember Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2? I do. I went with my son, Alec, uh, who is my mini-me and loves all the same films and pop culture stuff I do. <laughs> At the end of the film, when Yondu dies and is being celebrated, they played the Cat Stevens song, Father and Son, and I started blubbering like an idiot. <laughs> and it was only made worse by Alec, who was concerned about me and whether I was okay. Uh, I assured him that I was fine. Mine were tears of both pride and joy that he'll one day experience when he's a father. Uh, since then, every time that song pops up on my playlist, my eyes leak all over again like two busted pipes, Powerful stuff from Cat Stevens. Uh, now back to thawing out my house, family, and pets. Not necessarily in that order. If you have time to thaw out Ted Cruz's dog, please don't do that. <laughs> um, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, both of the films, very, very much. They're some of my favorite movies. I do think at the end with that, it works very well. And I also think they did a, a good job as well uh, at the end of the first movie when he gets his uh, new tape from his mom. Oh, man, so good. But in both those cases... Holy guacamole, uh, do they, uh, it's, it's, you know what, it may be like almost cheating. It's all, it's like, you know, when you have like a dog die in a movie and like everyone cries and it's like, mm, yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's not subtle, but it's, uh, it's powerful hmm. I'm, and it works and it's good and it's whatever, but it's really like, oh, we're going to give you this. We're going to give you this. We're going to have a funeral and we're going to have like a close up of the sad raccoon. And now we're going to have this song playing, and they're sitting, and oh, so all this stuff. Anyway, uh, Jada Jackman writes, um, 
Love Louise's question, uh, because I'm sure everyone will have interesting answers. I don't usually cry when emotional songs come on, but the song Is Anybody Out There by Pink Floyd has made me cry on uh, two separate occasions. Both <laughs> times, uh, it was while listening to The Wall in full, and once while I was on a train to Paris, très cinématique. Uh, the song, for anyone who may not know, it's mostly just acoustic guitar and a small orchestra. It comes after Hey You, which is a song about someone who feels very disconnected from everyone around them and solidifies uh, the character's descent into total isolation. I think it's really the emotions of Hey You that make me cry, but is anybody out there gives uh, me room to feel those emotions, you know? Uh, what I really want to talk about was the pineapple crush hate. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh -oh. I'm here to profoundly proclaim my love of the drink, and I'll go one step further and say that the grape is my least favorite. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really like regular cola, though, so what do I know? You know your own tastes, and that's completely legitimate. That's what counts. Yeah. And uh, just, uh, I mean, and you know what? I just can't imagine. I don't... Uh, I don't want to say, yeah, I don't want to judge it because I've never tasted it, to be honest with you. It just doesn't sound great to me, but um, that's just me. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, what, like, is, is pineapple like a common, like, I don't, I don't know, I not think, I don't think I know what, like, the fake flavor of pineapple is. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like, great. Well, you've had a lifesaver that's uh, pineapple flavor. Oh, okay, right? okay. Well, I'd like to try it. Maybe I'll, I'll give it a try if I ever, if I ever see it. You yeah, know what? Maybe we'll drink some on the air when we, uh, when we get back together again. Sure, yeah. I'm off pop for, for Lent, but... Uh, yeah. But, well, we're, uh, we're not getting back together in that short of time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, um, we actually, on that subject, uh, we had a, twi a tweet from a listener from Ferg, Atari 2600 Carrot Stealer, apparently. Oh. He sent a picture from Delaware, and he says, oh. we have some crush here. And he sent a picture of Orange Crush, Grape Crush, which... Uh, Jada just spat in the floor. Why don't you hear that? Great crush. <laughs> but also, watermelon crush. Oh. And I was kind of like, ugh. But now thinking about it, you know what? I'd like to try refreshing. that too. I'll give it a try. Yeah, it does sound refreshing. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I ain't again it. I ain't again it at all. All right. We'll give it a, we'll give it a shot. And by the way, crush is owned by PepsiCo because the, uh, stick, the uh, price tag, which is $1.79 American, has a PepsiCo... The little uh, circle with the with the red and white and blue in it. Well, all right then. That's the so way there that's you go. Be. So, uh, so thank you for that picture of Crush from Delaware. Much right. appreciated. RJ writes, "Hello, sneakers. I'm not sure I have, if I have a surefire emotionally inciting uh, tune of choice, but I will say uh, live classical symphony performances have a huge impact and get me pretty teary in person. Hmm. Last one was the performance of Also Sprach Zarathus. Oh, I knew this." <laughs> going in, and, and now it's like, you know the one, 2001, that one. Also, Sprach uh, Zarathustra. Thustra. Zarathustra. Worcestershire sauce by that's, Strauss. That's the one that goes, do, 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 boom, 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 boom. And if you see Dave and I singing that uh, on TV at some point, uh, turn the fucking channel. <laughs> Because uh, the show that's about to follow will get us canceled. That's right. Let's yeah. let's erase that tape accidentally. <laughs> let's just let's just have a little. Um, uh, this is where I like to rest my magnet. Right here. Uh, also.
also yeah by Strauss at the Disney Concert Hall. Lately, I've been discovering the music of Philip Glass and have uh, found a similar uh, effect just listening at home, particularly anything from music in 12 parts or glassworks. Interesting. With regards to swapping out characters, my mind immediately went to the classic Magnum P.I. and Murder, She Wrote crossover episode. No idea that happened, and now I want to see that. <laughs> I'll try and be a bit more snobby, though, and sub out Charlton Heston's role in Touch of Evil. Oh, okay. I'll admit this is not an original opinion, and many film noir fans agree that Ricardo Montalban would have been much more appropriate uh, for the lead Mexican attorney in Orson Welles' creepy, weird 1957 masterpiece. Since it was in the 1950s, however, we got Charlton Heston in blackface. Yawn. Don't get me wrong. I love me some Omega Man or Soylent Green, but this performance doesn't quite stand the test of time. I'll just say, wow. um, I'll just say one thing, which is that the reason that movie got made was because Charlton Heston was attached to the project. Mm. So it it couldn't it wasn't through like Wells was just up hired he was hired basically uh, uh, by the, from the enthusiasm of Charlton Heston who wanted to work with Orson Wells. So Ricardo Maltabaum is not an option in in like in reality. Like of course that's a fun thing to fantasize about, but yeah. It wasn't it wasn't like wasn't like Wells was like choosing Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston was choosing Wells and the project was kind of what it was. And uh, I think it's a it's an okay movie, I think, but I don't think it's like a great movie. I, I, I never quite understand people's like huge enthusiasm for it. It has some like great set pieces to it or whatever. I remember but. liking it at the time. I saw it in a, I saw it in a theater and uh, I'm like because sure. I'm I'm old. I saw it in 1957. I went to a <laughs> you went to the theater on this. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, you know, I uh, use my seniors discount. Oh, I'm a vampire. Okay, I'm a vampire. There you have me. Blah. Lastly, Dave. Uh, thank you, Dave for complimenting the, the few things I currently have on Instagram last week. Oh, you're welcome. I did a social media detox, which I would recommend anybody do, by the way, and deleted my old account, which had much more work on it. My old account was under the name Tweed Smut, and I got a few shout-outs on the gentleman of elegant leisure. Oh, uh, when Jason When you see your cousin next, please tell him RJ Tweed Smut says hello. <laughs> and that his podcast is sorely missed in my apartment and I hope they get the band back together once COVID dies uh, down in the future. Such an enjoyable show to listen to on a Sunday after Saturday afternoon. I never really cared about the cocktails. It was their banter I miss the most. Sad emoji. Oh, well, we hopefully, hopefully things get back to normal once things get back to normal. That would be nice. I want to listen to more of those as well. Uh, Sarah Walsh. Uh, right? Hello, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Uh, celery salt is actually great on avocado. I talked a little bit about avocado and celery salt. Uh, it brings out the flavor of something. I don't know. That's what my mom told me. Anyway, and it seems to be true. What I start the day with uh, most days now is I'll drink a cup of coffee, have a little coconut water because I've got to get my potassium up. Am I going to have a banana? Probably am. But I also <laughs> enjoy having an avocado, which is very high in potassium. Here's what I do. Split your uh, avocado. Uh, do I put it on toast? I don't. I'm lazy. I'll put a little bit of hot sauce on there and a little bit of salt. I'll just scoop that up with a spoon and eat it. God damn, that's tasty. So good. I've just kind of fallen in love with uh, that as a breakfast. And so that's avocado top. Um, songs that make me cry, or at least put a lump in my throat, are fairly common. Uh, they tend to sneak up on me. I'll be singing along in the car and suddenly I'm choked up, can't sing anymore, and half the time I don't even know why. I'm annoyed that I can't think of uh, more off the top of my head, but The Girl in the Dirty Shirt by Oasis is 
The message is beautiful. I don't care who you are or what you have or haven't done in your life. I just love you for who you are. But Noel Gallagher always puts his unique working class twist on things. Damn it, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. <laughs> and another one, appropriately enough, is The Untraditional by Chumbawamba. It was a hidden track on their first purely folksy album, A Sing Song and a Scrap. That's a great name. Uh, There was absolutely no mention of it anywhere in the liner notes, as if it didn't exist, which is symbolic of the subject matter of the song. Gay lovers hiding from the world and the law. Oh, that's nice. Uh, The last line gets me every time, and I mean every damn time. And in some far-off place... I know that our love may shamelessly be. May shamelessly be. Let me get that right. Let me get that correct. Damn it, I want to get it right. I'm going to get it right. Sarah, forget what you just heard. Here it comes. And in some far off place, I know that our love may shameless be. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, Sorry, I fucked it up. (laughs) Got knocked down. I got up again. Did you? Uh, Speaking of, yeah, you're never going to. Um, uh, speaking of which, here's my playlist. Now, to clarify, I don't actually think Chumbawamba were necessarily a great band. Oh, come on. No, this is backtracking. This is backtracking. Is nearly unlistenable, but unlistenable. But they developed as musicians and moved through various phases and styles. They made some powerful music. They make me happy and optimistic, even in the darkest of times. They were truly invaluable the last four years. They're highly political, but not always in the way you'd expect. They tell true human stories, and they always find the light in the darkness. The first two songs on the playlist will illustrate this perfectly. And if you go to SneakyDragon.com, look at our uh, message uh, board uh, underneath episode 480, you will find the very last thing there is Sarah's letter, and then the very last thing in her letter is her um, uh, YouTube uh, link. And so click on that and give her a listen. So thank you so much, Sarah. really appreciate you putting that together and uh, just ignore dave that guy he was the guy by the way that said uh, that last line space arm that was him it was him he was also cut out of happy gilmore very 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 i was yep i was cut out of happy gilmore um i was the golf ball it was the golf ball oh sorry i didn't cast dave in sneaky dragon we cast him in Mr. Fingerman. We did not cast him in that. That was our mistake. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dave, do you have any emails? I do. I do have a couple of emails to read. Lovely. Um, one is from Brent Tannehill. So thank you, Brent. And Brent has written with some advice. He says, you don't have to read this on air, but, but you know what? Information should be spread around, I think. And he says, hey, Dave, on your last show, you talked about having a heat lamp in your chicken coop. Be careful with those lamps because they're hot enough to cause a fire. Years ago, we had a heat lamp to warm the baby chicks. Some of the straw in the coop must have come in contact with the lamp, and our coop and all of our chickens burned down. The volunteer fireman who came that night said that it was a common occurrence. I suppose if your heat source was high high up and away from any walls, and there was no way it could fall down, there's no problem. Yes, our heat lamp is secured at the top of the coop, and it's a far away. And we don't actually use straw in our coop. We use um, shavings. So there's, they're not going to like poke up into the into the heat lamp, which is quite a bit higher up than the, the birds as well. And we're not trying to warm it for chicks, so it's not like low down where you know to keep them really warm. It's just there to kind of let the the chickens get a little bit of a little toasty, a little toasty warm. And then Brent sent along two questions of the week, so we will hear those at a later date. Thank you, Brent. And uh, huh, wow, those are 
Interesting. Okay. Well, then we got one more, one more letter or email to us. And that email is somewhere down here, right there, right where my finger pointed. It's from Mark Dobrovolsky. Hey, Mark. I have your, um, Mark, I have your, uh, business card sitting right here beside, it sits on my bookshelf. I just like the drawing of the guy pointing at the screen. <laughs> so I have that there. All right. Mark says, hi guys. As always, at least for the past three years, your Dragon Podcast is a weekly highlight. Thank you sincerely for the week after week effort. That's what I say. It's a week effort. I do miss the sirens from the old office recording space, though. I'll take a drink anyway. I do recommend that. I spent much of my life living in New Jersey, aside from a brief stint in Montreal. Rue Sherbrookean. My bad. Oh, my bad. <laughs> in my younger years... <laughs> <laughs> in my younger years, I was vaguely familiar with Crush. It wasn't sold widely in New Jersey. When my friends started going to college in places like South Carolina and Florida, they reported back that Crush Pop, soda in these parts, was available in multiple flavors. They were blown away with the exotic root beer variety. That made me think that Crush must be some kind of southern thing. Your correspondents in Texas and other parts southwest can confirm if that's the case in their experience. These days, I see Orange Crush once in a great while on a big box store shelf, but not another great, not, but not the other varieties. As for me, I never cared for it. I drink Fanta when I wanted an orange flavored fix. Fanta? I actually never had Fanta, so I grew up in, I grew up in Crush, so that's my go-to. Moving on, in your recent episode, I heard something I've not heard before. Ian said, a, at the end of a sentence when speaking about McDonald's hamburger topping ingredients. <laughs> Ian, I really don't remember either of you using that Canadianism in the past episodes I've listened to. Kudos to you, Ian, for keeping up the north of the border oral tradition. Must have been a rather, must have been rather excited about that topping recipe. Yeah. Is that true? All right. Yeah, that was it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, eh? Now. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now, about Chicago deep dish pizza... What a treat. I've never actually had it. It's something I really do want to try. So I, I'm, I, it, Chicago is on my itinerary of travel locations, for sure. I used to travel to the Windy City for short-stay business trips. Each night, I would order deep-dish pizza from a different downtown pizza palace. I've never had a pie quite like the ones I had there, even in New Jersey, or New Jersey. Huh? <laughs> even in New Jersey, where there are pizzerias, and Italian restaurants with pizza-prominent menus in most cities and towns. Vividly, I remember one trip being invited to dinner at a top downtown steakhouse by a vendor courting my business. Is that one of those Chris ones? What are they called? Chris? Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the steakhouse. Hell, I don't even remember if I gave the vendor any business. But I know damn certain that I stopped at Lou Malnati's Pizzeria for a slice on the way home that evening. David, you must make that post-pandemic trip to the Windy City... Even if deep dish isn't your style, the other offerings are subs are superb. And of course, there are the dogs. Yes, <laughs> that is true. And also, Chicago has home to some great art galleries, which is why I want to go there. Ah. Plus, I want to go on the Frank Lloyd Wright tour. Sorry that I'm not responding to questions, questions of the week, but I feel certain that there are plenty of other international writers with more interesting inputs on these topics. I'm not a big movie TV watcher, and as for songs... Big boys don't cry. Big <laughs> boys don't cry. Thanks for the ongoing Dark Shadows updates. Never saw a single episode growing up, 
Even though my younger brother had it blurring on the telly every weekday afternoon when I came home from school, nothing like the present to catch up. Please note that I am listening to Orange Crush by R.E.M. from the Green Album on repeat as I write this. Nice piece of late 1980s pop cheese. Something, something to drink crush by, I guess. Stay safe and keep up the great streams of consciousness. Mark. Thank you, Mark. Oh, thanks. We will. Mm-hmm. We sorry, sorry we let you down in this episode by being so so uh, planned out and, and thought ahead. Yeah, oops. <laughs> oops for us. Yeah, that's our mistake. <laughs> you know. It won't happen again, we promise. Probably not. Besides my my voluminous notes for uh, Dork Shadows. <laughs> Man, well, notes. Uh, so our so our questions this week are, uh, we got to, you know, what's a book that you liked that you were forced to read? This could be like, ah, oh, it's your book club. Oh, got to read it. Uh, or school, that'd be a reason. Or, you know, any other reason that you'd like have to, maybe you were guilted into reading a book. Everyone's like, everyone's talking about this book, oh, got to read it. And you read it. Uh, what was that one that you were forced to read, but you ended up liking or didn't like. You can also give me that if you want. I don't mind. <laughs> so, and and what, what's, our, what's our second question that's going to be like our listener uh, volunteered question for, for the weekday? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to make that the sub-sub question because I have another question, which oh, is okay. uh, tell us about a time you were present at a friend's humiliation. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> Just thinking about Ian sitting in the movie theater with his two friends discovering they'd been cut out of a film. So yeah, yes, if you have a, if you have a, I don't want, I don't want anything too, too horrible. But if you have like a kind of fun story related to that, I would, I would like enjoy that. And then I don't know what the sub sub question is. I'll have to look back through our questions, which I wrote down in a little book, and I will uh, choose the next one. So we that will be on our website. How will people uh, find uh, that and do it? What the what Well, to to say, I will speak a little more fluently than Ian did, but I will okay, tell I'm you. I'm going to go over here and have a mild stroke. I'll be right back. <laughs> you, go smell some toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, if you'd like to comment on the show or answer one of our our famous questions, uh, five-star review and, and the Michelin Guide, by the way, <laughs> you can go to sneakydragon.com where you will find our shows posted there, and under each show is room for you to vent your spleens and answer questions. We love to hear from you. You can also email us. Our email address is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. We are on Twitter at sneaky underscore Twitter. You can be like Ferg and send us pictures of Crush. I was very excited by that picture. Uh, we are also on Facebook. It's Sneaky Dragon. You can message us there and we will respond to you. And we have a Tumblr presence and also a Patreon. You're welcome to go there and uh, leave a tip. Just to, you know, pledge a little money, a dollar a month or whatever you feel is fair exchange for the hours of endless nonsense we fill your life with. So we call it in Canada a loony for some loony. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. That's our. That's now our newest slogan. If I was smart, I'd say a toonie for some loonies. We double our cash, but go ahead. Too late. God oh, damn it. <laughs> but that's it. That's the end of our show. Yeah. I declare yeah, this show. We got nothing else. I declare this show as dead as Barnabas. Hey, what's choking me? <laughs> what's choking me? Oh, 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 why, why did I kill him when I had a chance? Oh.